I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as monsters, ghosts, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. So, uh, I'm starting to think this episode might be cursed. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I know we're later than hell. And I said we'd be a little late because I was going on vacation. And then I got stuck on vacation a little longer due to bad weather. And then we were supposed to record and I had a flood in my house because a pipe broke. <laughs> and then I had to fix the drywall. And then Josh had a catastrophe at work. <laughs> and then I thought it'd be nice to finally record in person. Yeah. We haven't done this since pre-COVID. So I'm driving to Josh's house and he lives a good 40, 45 minutes away from me. And about 10 minutes away, something blows up my back fucking tire. And I had a pop tire and I had to find a safe place to pull over and change it just so we could get here and record. So yeah, this episode is cursed. <laughs> it was very much cursed, but uh, you made it here and uh, we're doing this. Feels like it's been forever. Yeah. It almost felt like we we're going to do it in bad taste as well. Cause Andre Gower from fucking monster squad also suffered a massive heart attack and is in the hospital, but he's still alive at the he time is, of this recording. I don't know what his recovery progress is. Yeah, because we uh we probably wouldn't have continued with this episode had that gone differently. Maybe who knows? I don't who know. Knows? <laughs> but he does have a GoFundMe out there because I guess he's needing help. He has to get a lot of surgery because he had a widowmaker. Apparently, oh, nice. And he's actually like in shape and healthy and does like exercise stuff to help people. And had the heart attack while playing tennis. So that means you and I are We're fucked, fucked, my friend. Yes. <laughs> there is no hope for us. I don't know, man. Kevin Smith survived his. <laughs> You can survive a heart attack. I'm just saying we're going to have one, probably. <laughs> Sweet. Let's try to go through some news. I put a note on here about Andre, so we already covered that. Halloween Kills trailer was released. And and yes, some of the stuff's going to be quite old because we recorded <laughs> so many weeks ago. But while I was on vacation, the trailer got leaked. I tried to find it, and I couldn't. I messaged Josh and his wife. They started digging, and then Blumhouse decided to officially release it because the cat was out of the bag, and it looks like it's going to be a violent fucking slaughter fest. Yeah, it does. I'm, I'm excited. And... I don't remember which episode it was. I feel like it was the Grindhouse episode, but they had just released the screenshot, the poster of Michael Myers sitting there with the Halligan bar, and I gave you my theory for the opening scene. Yeah. Got it down to a T. <laughs> so that was kind of cool, but I'm really excited for that. Hopefully it comes out in October because it was supposed to come out last, last October. October. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that goes. There is apparently an interview with the Vampire TV series being made by AMC. I'm 50-50 on that. I know there were liberties taken from the book, and usually I don't feel bad about remakes of films into TV shows if they say we're going to be more like the book. Like, they're talking about making a Harry Potter TV series for HBO Max. Oh, wow. But they're going to follow the books and not the movie scripts. So, okay. like, that gives you something different but the same. Yeah. We'll just have to see who they cast, right? Because that was a pretty well-casted movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care what kind of flack it gets. I still like that movie. AMC makes good shows, though, so at least it's yeah. a good network making it, so. The Winchester Supernatural prequel show announced. I'm kind of excited. I'm <sighs> I'm excited. I just don't want to be disappointed. <laughs> I know, I know. And it, it really it depends on who they pick to play their mom and dad young. If they use the people they used in the flashback episodes or the time travel episodes, they were fine. I'm okay with that, yeah. But the thing is, we got to see them in different eras, though. Like, we got to see John very first getting introduced to it. 
Yeah. You know, and like, are we, are we going to go with that guy or are we going to go with the guy that already knew? It could have been the same guy, actually. I mean, I watched that show for 15 years. <laughs> so so who knows? But we still got to finish. Oh, you haven't finished no, it No, dude. We're still like two and a half seasons. Yeah, you got to finish it. Yeah. Moving on. John Lithgow is going to be in the new season of Dexter as the Trinity Killer. I am 100% okay with this. I am too, except for he's dead. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a flashback. It's got to be. Or the actor, I, I feel really bad. I can't think of his name right now, but the actor that played Dexter's father that was his dark passenger yeah. is not in the season. So I kind of assumed Jennifer Carpenter, who played his sister, would be the new dark passenger. Yeah. But what if the dark passenger rotates through all of his demons? Hey, I'm okay with that too. I mean, I'm just spitballing here, guys. I'm trying to make it sound badass, but I like Dexter and I love John Lithgow. So yeah, yeah. We will cover Harry and the Hendersons on this show somehow <laughs> at some point. Really? Why not? Oh my God. You know what I'm going to do up against that? What? I'm going to do Mac and me. <laughs> Why not? We just did it, guys. We just picked a random episode. You'll have to see when that comes out. Back to horror. Well, kind of. Werewolves Within had a $223 million opening weekend with a limited release. That is awesome. And it beat the shit out of Forever Purge, which had a $16 million release. I'm over it with the Purge, man. I've been over it. Apparently all the Purge movies had like in that 11, 12, 15 million dollar opening weekend range on 4th of July weekend. So. Okay. But yeah, Werewolves Within kicked some ass. I think the only thing that's really beaten it cuz that might even be higher than uh A Quiet Place 2. I'd have to go back and look at, at my notes from that episode, but it's it's in the same ballpark. The only thing that's beaten it probably was Black Widow that came out this weekend, but uh <laughs> it's a Marvel movie, so duh, right? Yeah, I watched the uh the last 15 minutes and uh Cause I had other shit going on and it kind of sucked that I only saw the last 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, I probably should have watched this. <laughs> oh, you only watched like the last 15 minutes of a quiet place. Uh, no, no, no. Of uh werewolves within. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. yeah. I'll go into that in a little bit. Uh, I'm almost finished guys. I have a lot of notes cause it's been several weeks and I've pruned this twice <laughs> because of the gaps in recording. Don't breathe Two trailer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that, but it was kind of weird because he almost looks like the hero in the trailer, and people were actually worried about that on Reddit and social media, and then Fidi Alvarez came out and said in a tweet, don't worry, he's not the good guy in this. I think, and I really fucking hope and pray that it's a bait and switch because it looks like it's just a fucking rinse and repeat with him possibly being the reformed cool guy. And I really hope that's what the trailer's supposed to make you think, and then you go see the movie and that's not what it is at all. I'm assuming he's kidnapped and raised a little girl as his own. I think he's kidnapped and raised a little girl to one day impregnate her. Ouch. You just made it even more fucked up. It's Fetty Alvarez. What do you think it's going to be? Yeah, it's Turkey Baster, dude. <laughs> and we love the guy. We praise him on the show. Hell, he's the only director who's ever yeah. commented on our show before. But Thanks, Fetty. <laughs> but he does some dark shit. He I mean, does. he really does. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. Even if it's a fucking rinse and repeat, I'm excited. I love Stephen Lang, and it's weird, like thinking about how like fucked up of a character he can be in these movies too. Yeah, that's uh, I don't know, but he does it well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a good bad guy in Avatar as well. I mean, he might just be a great bad guy. Yeah, I'm gonna wait till all 23 of those come out, and then I'm just gonna binge all of them. Have you not seen the first one? I really have not seen. Oh, it. you should watch it at least once. It's just <laughs> fun to watch. We're going to dip out of Fidi Alvarez territory and dive into Blumhouse a little bit, but apparently they're producing a remake of The Exorcist, which I'm like, can you redo it? And then they said they want David Gordon Green to direct it. So I'm like, 
Maybe. I'm, that's where I am. Like, that's so unnecessary. But if they're going to bring him in, maybe. Well, I mean, if somebody else was already going to make it and they asked Blumhouse to produce it and they're like, well, we can't stop it from being made. We might as well at least, you know, help make sure it's not shit. And yeah. I mean, you could have never convinced me in a million years somebody could have made a Halloween sequel that was good. <laughs> and David Gordon Green did it. Well, and ignored the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I don't know that that could be awesome. Well, is Danny McBride going to help write it or <laughs> see I'm 50, 50. I just don't like him as a person. <laughs> oh, he's fucking hilarious, man. Almost finished guys. We got uh Lovecraft country got canceled. I'm kind of indifferent on that. It was, it was waning to me. Like every episode, like would start off like, this is going to be awesome. And then it was just like, it would get weak and then just be a teaser for the next episode. And it, it didn't, it, it went places, but it didn't, I don't know. Maybe they thought they were going to get a longer run and it was going to go play more places. Cause it's, it seemed to set up so many things to be ready for later. Right. And we didn't get there. And I hadn't read the book. So there's that as well. Right. <laughs> and honestly, I've been meaning to go back and finish it, but I haven't even finished the first season. The last oh, wow. episode I saw was the, I guess it was a Kitsune. It was like the, the Fox woman yeah. that he was in love with. That's the last oh, episode I saw. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's because I liked his dad, or I guess it was his uncle that died, right? And yeah. then like his dad Spoiler was kind of going off, <laughs> you know, doing his own thing. And they, they were doing less Lovecrafting and stuff and yeah. they started dipping out. And I'm like, that's okay. Back in the day when you had like 23 episode seasons and yeah. you have fillers, but like, I need the meta plot on this one, you know? <laughs> but they were great quality episodes. Yeah. And and I liked them. So I need to go back and finish it. But I guess that was the end. I heard it did at least end in a spot, though, where you could end it. Yes. And the only thing else I wanted to, to mention was Richard Donner passed away on July 5th. I think he was 92. He was 91 or 92. Damn. And... He's most famous for doing Lethal Weapon and Superman and stuff, but he did The Omen, and I want to say there's a couple more horror movies in there, but just a, yeah. a famous director that's worked with a lot of horror writers as well. Like, he's worked with everybody because he's in the business. I, I was actually surprised when I looked at his filmography because he has not made as many things as you would have thought he made. No. They were just all heavy hitters. Yep. So, and that kind of ties in a little bit because Shane Black wrote Lethal Weapon, which Richard Donner directed, and, and we're going to go into Shane Black a little bit on this episode. <laughs> but before we get to that, let's do the rest of the housekeeping. Unless you have any news to add, Josh. I do, I do, I do. Oh, what? <laughs> I, I don't even have it scripted for that. What are you doing here? Everybody already knows. So, Halloween Horror Nights, second <laughs> official house announced. Of course, this is old fucking news by the time this goes up, but I don't care. So, Beetlejuice being the holdover from last year of the mini not so well done, Halloween Horror Nights. And uh, we've got the Haunting of Hill House now. Yeah, the Red Room, announced. right? Yes. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully uh, some more shit gets announced and it doesn't get canceled this year. That's all I have for news. Hey, you contributed. <laughs> I don't have any announcements other than apologizing for being late. And the episode's fucking cursed, so forgive me. But I think I went into that in enough detail. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. And this is what we call late. So, uh... <laughs> I'm going to try to really bust ass on editing this one to get it out this weekend. We'll see. Oh. Updates and corrections. Man, I love correcting myself with uh, shorthand notes that I made a month ago. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I'm going to go off these bullet points that I made, assuming that I was going to record the next day when I did this. But the studio's main problem that they said they had with Big Trouble in Little China was that they wanted Indiana Jones and they thought they were getting Indiana Jones. 
And then they got big trouble in Little China. <laughs> and speaking of odd alternate reality versions of Big Trouble in Little China. It was The Rock that had been trying to make a sequel to Big Trouble in Little China, and it was most likely not going to be in the continuity of the original film. Uh, The no. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And somewhere in the episode, I said they basically handed him a Western on a plate, and then he modernized it to not be a Western while loving Westerns. And... I had forgotten to mention that he said that he never wanted to make a Western as much as he loved him because you had to clean up horse shit in between <laughs> takes. <laughs> okay, so that's why we really haven't gotten a John Carpenter Western. Yeah, he doesn't want to have to clean up horse shit in between takes. <laughs> hey, hang on. I got to think for a second. I don't think I've seen a horse in a Carpenter film. <laughs> <laughs> Man really hates horse shit. That's a pretty John Carpenter answer, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> This was a note for Josh. I guess we hit his movie here because, like I said, this is very shorthand here in my notes. George Buck was his nickname. Flower played the drunk. Okay. And you're like, oh, the guy that's in all the John Carpenter movies. It's Buck Flower. (laughs) The name of Kurt Russell's ex-wife that was an escape is Season Hubley. Oh, okay. So there we go. Because you were like, I don't know her name. (laughs) I do that a lot. I noticed when editing that you said they just kind of randomly run away from Duke and crew and you don't know how they got away. It's because Snake shot a canister that was pumping up and down that blew steam all over them and they couldn't see and they ran away. And you actually talked about the machine like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) Is that a combustion engine? And then you said they like just fucking ran away unnoticed. And it's because Snake shot the thing and it shot steam in Duke's face and nobody could see. That tells you where my brain stopped. Like I needed to know why that was sitting there to care about what happened afterwards. (laughs) And I only caught that. Well, I noticed you saying it, and I kind of wanted to see it. I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go skim through the movie like to find that scene, but I had to go back for this next update, <laughs> so I just ended up doing it anyways. Okay. So Snake asks Brain for the tape when they're in the car, and Brain says, I don't have the tape, and then Cabby pulls the tape out and hands it to Snake, and then Brain figures out everything that went on with the trade. Okay. For, for Cabby to end up with the tape. And in all honesty, I might have cut that whole discussion out of the episode. <laughs> I, I feel like I did. But we had a debate, like, who had the tape and this and that. And that's actually what happened. And my last one is, apparently, Lee Winnell is doing a screenplay for Escape from New York. Not Big Trouble in Little China. Because oh. I had said it was Lee. And that was who wanted Wyatt Russell to play Snake. And he's like, I can't play my dad. Aw. So I'm still okay with this, but it's still not happening. Right, right. And honestly, I could see Lee Winnell doing Escape more than I could Big Trouble. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, and I I do want to bring up while we're talking about all this, in case anybody thought that Jesse was crazy or just doesn't know video games, but when he brought up Metal Gear Solid 2 and when uh, Snake shows back up, he's... Pliskin. I forget his long ass first name, but right. he is. He's fucking Pliskin in the second one. I said that. I don't know. I'm saying that I'm saying that you're right because I'm currently playing through the game. <laughs> <laughs> that means you thought I was crazy. I didn't. I, th- I think I said in the episode, I never played much of the second. Ah, one. I, got you. I don't think I made it to that part. I made it through the first part where you're on the boat and it's like, okay, you're not snake anymore. I'm like, fuck this game. <laughs> now I'm actually <laughs> playing through it all because of escape from New York. There you go. I guess we should get into what we watched because that ends up being a lot lengthier than we intended and then dive into the movie. So, yay. So I had never seen John Carpenter's The Ward and it's the last movie he's ever directed. Oh, okay. It just came out a few years ago and it was starring Amber Heard and it's in like the 50s in an insane asylum and I fucking loved it. 
oh, I hadn't heard of it. <laughs> it's more of a psychological thriller. Uh, has a couple jump scares. It's a pretty okay movie. And then when they get to the end and explain everything and you, you figure out what's going on with the ghost baddie and everything, fucking awesome movie just because of that. Okay. He didn't write it, though. He just directed it. But I realized that I had never seen his last film that he's ever directed. And I still haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it. Your wife probably won't watch it with you because she hates Amber Heard. <laughs> At the time of writing the script or notes or whatever the fuck we want to call it, I was going to put that I watched Fear Street 1994, but I've also watched the second Fear Street movie. Thank God. It was in the 70s. I made sure I watched it last night, but that wasn't supposed to be out yet when we recorded this. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm a slasher guy, so let me just start with it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Granted, the opening scene of 94 was the best part yes. of the movie. I mean, it it really was like feeling like Scream in a good way. Yes. But I like the movie. The complaints online drive me insane because people start shitting on the movie on Reddit and uh-huh. then they'll just say they played too many 90 songs. And I'm like, can you shit on anything else? 94's in the fucking title, guys. I know. I know. <laughs> when I was watching it with my friend David, I was like, this soundtrack is literally my youth. Yes. <laughs> like, it was, that was perfect. My years. Every song... They played in that movie I had on a mixtape. Yeah. All that shit was on the radio back then. Like right. it was the, if somebody could cherry pick something I read was that um, it scares me to know how much of the production budget went to music licensing. Right. Because they, they went for it, man, what they needed to grab. And even the fucking music, you know who the, the co-writer is of the score of 94? Uh-uh. The guy who wrote the music for Scream. Okay. There we go. And the director worked on the Scream, the TV series. Yes. So- yeah, there's, it's so good, but you're right, man. It's, it starts way up here and I don't want to spoil anything. And even by the time it gets, it goes down as it gets towards the end. But even by the time it gets to the end, it's still better than half the shit that's come out. Recently. Exactly. <laughs> that's what Dave and I were saying. We're like, this movie's not perfect. It's not the best thing I've ever seen, but it's better than most horror movies that we go sit in the theater and see. Yeah. That's, oh, I'm so excited that, that, that this has happened from reading the books right. and shit. Oh God. The profanity and the gore was unexpected. Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be more Stranger Things than yeah. it was. I thought it, well, 78 was less gory, and 78 was more, all the kids get killed off camera. Well, the younger kids, yeah. because they're age, the teenagers and the counselors, you you see them get axe murdered the fuck out. You do, but I mean, it was, the, I think the first one was more violent than the second one. The final axe kill of the movie, though. Was oh, by a, the tree? Yes, was a pretty <laughs> violent axe kill. But I thought they were a lot of fun. I felt like I could see where they were paying tribute. Oh yeah, to different slashers, and I can't wait to see the third one where we go into like a fucking Robert Eggers period piece, right? Because we go to sixteen sixty six in the third one, which will probably come out the same day or the day before this episode comes out. Yes, but I've had fun. If you see people shitting on it online. Look at what they're shooting on, and it seems to be the music, and then just watch the movie. And fucking turn your mind off and have fun. I mean, it was a slasher movie. Yeah. With good actors and good special effects. Absolutely. Characters that I cared about. Now, some people complain about some of the characters and not caring about them. I agree. But, like, you had character development with some of them. Yeah. And I liked it a lot. So, after I watched Fear Street 94 with David on a horror movie night, he's like, hey, do you want to watch this untitled horror movie Josh was talking about? And we watched it. Have you watched it? Yes. (sighs) Exactly. (laughs) By the end, I liked it, but it was very mediocre going through it. Yeah. If you were going to make a movie in a pandemic using like Zoom and whatnot, 
host fucking killed this movie. Exactly. But it wasn't bad. Like I said, especially by the end when you finally wrap it up and see how the story ends. There was yeah. some clever shit done there. I didn't like the characters. Nope. <laughs> like I do in a lot of things, you know. And some of them were actors and actresses like Claire Holt from Vampire Diaries and the Originals. I didn't even like her character, and I love her from other shows. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, what the fuck's going on here? But it was definitely different. Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be... Uh, we've already watched this happen. There's already been, like, four or five movies that, like, going back to when Paranormal Activity came out, and then all these, hey, I can do that too, movies came out. Right. Hosts set the bar for this, and nobody's... Yeah. Nobody's got close to it yet. It's the new, like, we've knocked the ballpark out on the found footage and try to copy it. So, oh, you can't, right? Yep. And this one goes without saying, I didn't even know this was a thing, but I watched the <laughs> Wolfman's Got Nards documentary <laughs> on Monster Squad because I had all this information on Monster Squad. Josh already made fun of how long my notes are. <laughs> and I was like, man, a lot of this stuff I've just known for 10 plus years. And I was like, I got to verify some of this. And it was getting hard <laughs> to verify a movie from the eighties that didn't do well in the eighties. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot. And then I found a documentary that's directed by Andre Gower. Like he directed <laughs> the fucking doc. And there's a couple of things I learned in there that I didn't know, but I was able to fact check stuff and yeah. it was just fun. So I recommend watching it. It's actually, you can watch it on Plex, like how Plex has free movies and shows. Oh really? Yeah. So you just make a free Plex account. You're not watching anything pirated and you can watch the documentary on there. No shit. It was a lot of fun. And that was the end of my notes. However, since we were <laughs> delayed, I also got to watch werewolves within with my wife last night. Okay. You know, she's not a big horror fan. She likes comedies. And it was definitely more comedy than horror, but it was a fucking blast, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> I will say we guessed who the werewolf was, though, within the first few minutes. Um, you know how I said I was in and out and only saw the end? Yeah. When I was in and out, the wife was already saying who the werewolf was. Gotcha, gotcha. Fun movie, though. Definitely check that one out. So what'd you watch? So obviously, Fear Street. Because uh, <laughs> I've talked about that before on the podcast that I read the cheerleader books. I don't know why out of all the Fear Street books, those are the only ones that I read. And out of the, like the six books that I've read in my entire life, that encompassed three of them. I finally watched In Search of Darkness 2, which I thought was going to be like, hey, they did 80 to 89 in the first one. This one must be the 90s. Like, no, <laughs> no. dumbass. They could do 10 of them on the 80s and not run out of movies. <laughs> I told you they hit more obscure <laughs> 80s movies on that one. Which was still fun and gave me some stuff that, you know, I'd either heard of or even not heard of to see and be like, okay, put that on the list. We need to watch that. Right. I'm the wife and I both have finally decided that we'll watch some fucking Dario Argento. Yeah. And some maybe some Giallo. Don't know. But like just watching the whole like the whole segment about, you know, right. All these Italian horror movies and how hey look, they're almost all dubbed. You know, you don't have to worry about reading, blah, 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 blah. Some of them have American actors and actresses in them. Yeah. That was the first request that we ever had was to cover <laughs> him. So maybe it's time. <laughs> maybe. Benny loves you. The trailer made it look like it was going to be off the wall, balls to the walls, fun time. Not so much. <laughs> um, have you seen it? Nope. I've never even heard of it. Um, I would I would say it's a pass. I mean, it's about a possessed killer doll. Okay. But he's like fun and, and runs around with like kitchen knives and shit and only ever says what he's already programmed to say. So he'll come in and be like, Benny loves you. Cuddle me. While he's fucking wheeling a kitchen knife, killing somebody. This sounds a lot like child's play. <laughs> 
yeah, this is no, no, no. This is this is if like Broken Lizard did Child's Play, huh? And you've sold me. And Jay Chavascarzibakera was gone during the entire fucking oh, writing no. process. They let Farva fucking direct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah, they let Farva direct. Yeah, not that dude, but that character. <laughs> <laughs> um, hard pass. Um, we also watched Amusement Park. I don't know that one. Okay, this was directed by George A. Romero. Oh, okay. And it was really was like a 45-minute long PSA about taking care of the elderly. And he didn't write it. He just happened to to direct it. Um there the the whatever, oh my god, I'm an asshole. The the society that's trying to preserve all of his shit. Yeah. Got it together and released it. That's why the name's familiar. Okay, okay. Yeah. I remember reading an article about that. And and it legitimately is. It, it it's this guy, you know, there's an introduction about it and about, you know, what you're about to witness and and what's done to the elderly in society. And it follows this older guy through an amusement park and shows how he's being downtrodden and 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 cast down and all this shit. And it, it was just neat to watch because it it it's part of, you know, the body of work of right. George A. Romero that I believe was thought to be lost, or at least pieces of it thought to be lost and and got to see it. It it's it it's upsetting. Like really? Yeah. It's it's straight up a, a PSA, but it it's it's the wrong kind of horror, man. That shit's real. <laughs> <laughs> well it's like I can't wait till we do another vampires episode so I can cover Martin which was made by him, which I had never heard of. And I was oh. looking to see if we could do George Amiro as a director for an episode one time without doing living dead movies. Right. <laughs> and I was like, he made a fucking vampire movie and I watched the trailer and it looks dark and fucked up. And I really want to see it, but I haven't watched it yet. Been kind of saving that one. But I mean, he, he did other stuff and people just seem to know about night of the living dead really, or yep. the dead trilogy. I guess he ended up making more than the trilogy by the end, but still, Yep. But on to the episode, I guess. Yay! The idea for this episode, which we've had a really hard time naming, (laughs) and who the fuck knows what it's going to be called by the time you guys see it (laughs) on your podcast player. Just look down right now and see what we fucking threw a dart and landed on. (laughs) But this episode was really to cover horror movies that we watched as children that were mostly acceptable to watch as children. And how fun they were and shaped us. Yeah, I got to watch Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff at a really young age, which Josh didn't. But I couldn't regularly watch those. Like, these are movies that my parents didn't let me watch. It wasn't just my sister babysitting me. Yeah. And watched on repeat and loved them. And we've talked about doing this for a long time. And these movies probably honestly shaped who we are to some extent. Absolutely. And this is going to be a whole lot of fun, I hope. Well, better. It's going to be fun for us. I just turned it up for the listener. Oh, yeah. They're fucked. <laughs> and these movies really did work as bridging tools for that time in our life. And not just for us, just anybody oh, yeah. in that decade. And you can watch Wolfman's Got Nards just to see how anybody growing up in the late 80s, early 90s loved that movie and how much it bridged them in other horror movies. And, and hell, these are like the few horror movies I've let my kids watch. Granted, I'm glad they didn't catch some words. I don't have to explain what they mean yet that I forgot was in there. And I'll probably bring those up as they happen. She's a German. Exactly. (laughs) But I was able to watch these movies with my kids and they kind of get wild like monsters and scary stuff now. Now I'm not creepy dad. You know. (laughs) 
And I knew this was going to happen eventually. We did our favorite movie list on episode 50, I think. Something like that. Something like that. And on that episode, I said I had it down to 11 movies. And I basically flipped a coin and removed one (laughs) because I had given myself this bullshit rule about how I had to have like a zombie movie and a ghost movie and a werewolf movie. and, And I couldn't really fit it into a category. But my biggest regret of that was not keeping Monster Squad on the list. That was what got bumped to number 11. And I didn't say it. And I had watched it semi-recently when we made that list. It had been a year and a half or so, but I had watched it with my kids. And just watching it again and watching The Wolfman's Got Nords doc and thinking about my childhood and me trying to get kids to make a Monster Squad. I'm thinking I was fucking (laughs) weird except for you. And we made the Ouija board out of paper. But everybody thought you were weird too, so it didn't really help my cool status. Like... I should have kept this movie on the list, and it's like a really guilty thing of mine because this is a really fucking good movie when it comes to the end. It is, man. And when we were on uh, Rick's podcast, can't recommend enough. Yeah. And y'all went on and on talking about it, and I'm like, I've seen this movie, but I don't remember half the shit they're talking about. <laughs> I was really excited to go back and watch it again yeah. and, and and have have a lot of things come back. I'll save it for the end, but it, you know, that, that was fun. And I guess I've been ambiguous enough. I'm talking about 1987's The Monster Squad. No okay? shit. It was the audio clip to cue into this one. People <laughs> got it, right? I mean, it was just straight up Sean saying we're The Monster Squad. And I'm going to go into the cast and crew, and then I got some little tidbits, and then we're going to go into my overly long synopsis, because I fucking love this movie, and I haven't had this much fun making notes. <laughs> In 60-something episodes. It was a lot of fun making the notes. This is your legend, huh? (laughs) Apparently. You thought it would have been Halloween or the slasher ones, but too much pressure on it. This is fucking Monster (laughs) Squad. I can do whatever the fuck I want to do with Monster Squad. But it was directed by Fred Decker, who directed Night of the Creeps, this, and RoboCop 3. Okay. All right. Two of those were hits. (laughs) With me, anyways. Agreed. But as a writer, he wrote House, Night of the Creeps, House 2, RoboCop 3 and the the recent The Predator movie, but I also saw he wrote If Looks Could Kill, the Richard like Greco movie or whatever. Do you remember that movie? What the fuck? I, I vaguely sneakers, remember it. I can walk on walls. You remember that movie? <laughs> we hear from the French teacher. So he made a bunch of shit in, in my lifetime, right? Like I grew up watching. Nice. And the movie was written by both Fred Decker and Shane Black. And Shane Black is famous in his own right for both directing and writing. He directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which I always tell you to watch and you probably still haven't still watched have <laughs> iron man three the nice guys which has some fucking hilarious scenes in it the predator i haven't seen the predator i'm gonna be honest and he wrote <laughs> lethal weapon the last boy scout last action hero long kiss goodnight iron man three nice guys and predator i mean he's made some okay. awesome movies from our fucking childhood and i have seen the last boy scout last action hero and the long kiss goodnight and i talk about the long kiss goodnight to people all the time right because it's got fucking gina davis in it as a fucking assassin with amnesia for anyone who doesn't know what <laughs> right. this movie is it is so cool and she's got her daughter and there's a scene in the movie where the kids like crying and could should be consoled and shit and all she tells her is life is pain get used to it right <laughs> like seeing gina davis in that role is so awesome and i didn't know this was the same fucking writer <laughs> and i think you actually brought that movie up when we were covering the fly i probably did man i love that movie and i get shit on for it no it's a good movie but they wrote some crazy shit and what's really crazy is shane black wrote lethal weapon while they were making monster squad basically and it instantly got sold <laughs> and they they say that might have would have helped monster squad if they would have waited a month or two and then would have put from the writer of lethal weapon because that was like uh, the biggest fucking movie of the year yeah yeah 
Let's dive into the cast, and there is a gigantic fucking cast in this movie, and a lot of the kids weren't in other stuff. So they still got to be mentioned, but it's kind of like a weird cast list. So I'm going to do the kids, and then I'm going to do the monsters, okay? Okay. So we got Andre Gower as Sean, the star, and he was in a lot of TV over the years. And like I said earlier, he directed Wolfman's Got Nards, but that was really it for his career. There wasn't like oh, a wow. lot of things that just stuck out, but he was a great leading character because... When this movie came out in the 80s, right, like it was right when people started making movies that actually were about kids, like the plots were about kids. And that's why it was really easy to get into them. Yeah. And this was one of the first ones I remember where they actually looked like fucking kids and not 25 year olds playing kids because <laughs> they all were like 12 to 15 or whatever. Yeah. And Phoebe was five or whatever. But he has a best friend named Patrick in the movie played by Robbie Kiger, who was in Children of the Corn as Job, like the original yeah. Children of the Corn, and some TV, but not really anything else. But what I saw in one of the interviews is that he was Andre Gower's best friend at the time, and they needed to cast a sidekick, and he's like, you got to get my buddy in here. Like, we can do this. <laughs> and really, they play. Oh, His yeah. His friend's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense now. Oh, my God, my fucking hero. <laughs> Ryan Lampert is Rudy. Rudy was my hero. He was most guys that I knew his hero watching that movie. And every girl that I knew that saw this movie in the 80s and the 90s was in love with Rudy. He was fucking awesome. He did some TV. He was on Kids Incorporated. <laughs> as Dude, a main that, character. The yeah. theme song just came back to my head. If you want to laugh, do you remember when they did the Somebody's Watching Me? Vaguely. It's Rudy singing and dancing no to it. No shit. It's on YouTube. <laughs> you guys got to go type Kids Incorporated. Somebody's watching me. If you want to see Rudy fucking singing a song. Oh my God. Because it was such a Mickey Mouse Club ripoff. <laughs> right. He didn't do much else because he basically quit acting because of this movie. Oh, wow. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Not because it's a bad movie. Like everybody's fucking mind was blown. <laughs> and we have Ashley Bank as Phoebe. He was a very prominent character for being so young in this movie and fucking fantastically cast. And she just did random TV and was in Smoky Mountain Christmas with Dolly Parton. But other than that, like, it's just crazy. Like, all these kids weren't in a whole lot. Damn. And I think this movie had something to do with it. <laughs> we had Michael Faustino. I hope I didn't butcher his name as Eugene, who has very little speaking parts, but I had to put the whole squad in here. And he did some TV, mainly married with children. I don't remember who. And not much after this. And the last kid, hopefully I don't butcher his last name, but Brent Chalum, who played Horace, and he died of pneumonia in 1997. Damn. He got pneumonia and they put him in the hospital and then they gave him a medicine that's bad to give somebody with asthma. And oh, it killed him. shit. And he did some TV. He was in Punky Brewster. He was in the last couple episodes of Quantum Leap, which I love that show. Oh, wow. And he went in a whole lot else, but he plays the fat kid in the movie. I'm just going to say that's what they call yeah. him, this fat kid. And a lot of people related to that character. He was a very normal character to yeah. a lot of people that are into nerdy shit. And he stands up for himself in this movie and, and makes a stand. And unfortunately, he never got to know how much this movie was loved. That's fucked up, man. I didn't know that he died in fucking the late 90s. Yeah. And the monsters. Okay. I probably left somebody out because they're monsters in costumes, but I'm going to do a fairly decent job here, I feel like. We had Duncan Rieger as Dracula. Honestly, he is one of the best portrayals of Dracula I've ever seen. He's a fucking pimp, man. <laughs> He's amazing. And 
I don't remember what magazine it was, but they did top hundred villains of all time. And Dracula got like 30th place as him as Dracula. <laughs> it was not a Christopher Lee Dracula. It was him. Oh, damn. And it's because Fred didn't want like an artsy Dracula. And he said everybody called in was doing like the, the eyebrows up and down and the crazy like <laughs> accent and whatnot. And he's like, no, this isn't going to work. And Duncan came in and he did it different. And in an interview, Duncan said, I wanted to approach the character differently. I wanted to just play him as a sociopathic serial killer. Yeah. Yeah, he did it. Yeah. And yeah. it was fucking fantastic. One of my favorite Draculas. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Agreed. And he scared a lot of people making it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like in the movie, in real life, people watching it. And he was also an imposing guy, six foot five. He was an Olympian. He boxed and figure skated. Nice. Right? So he's a At the same fucking, fucking time? <laughs> I don't think so. He's a big fucking guy. And he's also an accomplished artist. He's a big painter, right? And, and sells his work and travels doing that. No shit. And he was on a Wizards and Warriors TV show, right? Okay. I don't know if you remember that show. Oh, my God. <laughs> the? He was Zorro in the 90s on the 90s Zorro show. Okay. <laughs> Which is not culturally appropriate, but true. <laughs> he was Zorro when we were kids and a lot of TV movies, but- Awesome fucking Dracula. <laughs> we got Tom Noonan as Frankenstein's monster. And God, is he a fucking lovable character in the film? <laughs> and he's an imposing character as well. I'm not actually sure how tall he is in real life. I just know that like the actors regularly say that in his full getup with the shoes, he was like almost seven feet tall. Damn. And he took up most of the treehouse set <laughs> when he's in there. But he was in Wolfen. FX, Manhunter, Robocop 2 is Kane, <laughs> The Ripper and Last Action Hero, so many other things, but I fucked up my notes and that's all I got. But the guy was great in this and you've definitely seen him in some sort of cult film. Nice. We have John Grease as the desperate man. I don't want to say the wolf man because he's not in the wolf man suit. <laughs> and he's in so much shit, especially cult shit. Yeah. He's fucking Laszlo and yes! real genius. Fright Night 2, he's like the weird werewolf vampire thing. He was a terror vision, men in black, fucking lost. He's Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. Always he's throw this football over the mountain, man. Dude, I always forget that that's him. I can't make Laszlo and, and him the same person. Right. I just can't. And. He's a good character in this movie because I said this before in the werewolf episode. I love it when it's played as like a curse that you don't want to have any yeah. part of your life. That's why I like Sam Huntington's character, Josh, and being human so much. He very much hates being a fucking werewolf. Okay. And you get that out of the desperate man as he's credited in this film. We had Tom Woodruff Jr. play Gilman, and I'm pretty sure we've said his name quite a few times on this show, but it's because he's a special effects guy, and that's how he ended up wearing the suit. But he's done special effects on Terminator, Aliens, Tremors, Starship Troopers, the recent It movies, the new Godzilla versus Kong, so much more. That's just what caught my eye to put on there, but he worked for Stan Winston Studios originally when they made this film. Nice. He even played Pumpkinhead. Oh, damn. Yeah. And then we have Michael Reed McKay as the mummy. He did have a few other credits, but it seems like most of them were like playing creepy looking characters. Like he plays the scary looking sleepwalker monster in Stephen King's Sleepwalker. He's okay. the man who can't breathe in Insidious 3. So he's, he's kind of like the, well, I, I was going to say the 80s Doug Jones, but you just said Insidious 3 and that's much more recent. <laughs> he didn't have a lot of credits, but it seemed to be stuff like that from what I knew. Okay. And special effects. 
monsters created by Stan Winston, like I just said, and the visual effects were done by Richard fucking Edlund. This is the fourth or fifth episode in a row where we've had to mention him because he did the fucking visual effects. And when we get to my movie, we're going to cover how his studio actually began. Oh, okay. So that's awesome. It was an accident. We could have just called this like the five part Richard Edlund series. I know, right? So that's it for the cast and crew that I wanted to cover. I'm sure I missed somebody. If I did, I'm sorry. You were fantastic. I love this movie. (laughs) But I want to do a little bit of backstory on the film and then dive into the synopsis. Fred Decker and Shane Black made this movie together, and they actually made it in college at UCLA. If not, it was like right afterwards. Okay. But Decker had joined UCLA and couldn't get into the film program. And he was an English major, but he wanted to be a film guy. So he hung out with the film people. Okay. Right. That was his crew. And that's how he met Shane and they became best friends. And Fred started working on writing screenplays. And one day Shane's like, what are you doing over there? What are you working on? He said, I'm writing a screenplay. Cause it's easier to write than a novel. Cause they're shorter. <laughs> and Shane's like, let me know what you're working on. And maybe I want to get into this. And they started talking about it. And he's like, I actually have an idea. If you want to help me with it, I want to do the little rascals meets universal monsters. This is all starting to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Shane's like, that's fantastic. I'm going to help you write this. And he went to writing it history in the making here. And Shane wrote most of the film while Fred was making night of the creeps. Oh. So Shane Black was just sitting there writing away while Fred was making his first film. And Fred finished Night of the Creeps, and he got to read the first draft. And he had to cut it down significantly because it was so long. And because the opening scene was going to cost more than the rest of the movie. And I'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. And during Fred Decker cutting this down, Shane decided to write another screenplay that he called Lethal Weapon, which he <laughs> immediately sold and threw himself into stardom. Oh, damn. Like, I need to look at the dates that the movies came out, but Lethal Weapon might have even came out before this. And, like, it it started afterwards. Oh, wow. It just went that quick because it was such a new take on the buddy cop movie. (laughs) But they were able to sell this movie. They were able to start shooting it. And the producer, I didn't write down his name. I'm sorry. But he wanted to fire Fred immediately in the first week, Fred said. Oh, wow. Because he wasn't shooting the movie the way he saw it, and he wasn't very technical at shooting it. Don't forget this guy never went to film school. (laughs) I don't know how he got Night of the Creeps to begin with, right? And in that first week, while the producer wanted to fire him, he taught him some things and started talking to him about master shots and doing this and framing things like this. And on week two, Fred listened to him and did everything (laughs) that he learned. And, And Fred said he taught me film 101. Okay. Like on the set in the first week while wanting to fire me. And I did it and he liked it and eventually just left me the fuck alone. And he says the third act of this movie, because I'm assuming he shot it in chronological order. He at least shot the third act last. And he said it's the favorite thing he's ever made. And it's because the producer left him entirely alone at that point. Oh, damn. And he got to just roll with it. It's just crazy that he almost got fired making the movie. It was his second movie, right? (laughs) The idea to use Universal's monsters was awesome because a lot of them are open domain, right? Like, hey, this is easy. And the Stan Winston crew were so excited because they were told in the meeting they got to make all the Universal monsters. And they're like, fuck yeah. And then they found out they couldn't because Universal told them no. (laughs) So the creature from the Black Lagoon is entirely owned by Universal. So we got Gilman. Yep. Okay. They could have a werewolf, but they couldn't call him the Wolfman. Yep. And he couldn't look like Lon Chaney. 
so it's Stan Winston's face. <laughs> the Wolfman's face is modeled off of a bust of Stan Winston, okay? Oh, I hate to say it, but some parts of it looks like it was modeled off of a hairy fish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the way he looks. And Dracula and Frankenstein's monster were both open domain, but they couldn't actually make them look like the universal versions or they could get sued because yeah. they owned like that, that look. And that's why Frankenstein's monster has the bolts on his forehead instead of his neck. Okay. So they could make them look just enough that you knew who it was, but not exactly. And Dracula pretty much looks like traditional Dracula, but some things were changed. Like he doesn't have the widow's peak. Yeah. His hair slicked back, right? He's a giant fucking man. He's six foot five. <laughs> yeah, I think Universal actually still holds the rights to using the name Dracula to imply a vampire. No, anybody can use Dracula as an open domain character. The character, yes, but they can't actually use the name with a with a vampire. I got to look it up. I, I think Universal has managed to hang on to the name. No, since it's an open domain character from the Bram Stoker novel, anybody can make a movie about Dracula and call him Dracula. I got to read what I was reading there. Was, and it may, it may be rights that they have to use it in a park. That could be, it may be what it is. Somehow universal has their fangs in that name. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I mean, you gotta think blade three has Dracula. In yeah. It. Marvel Comics has Dracula in it every fucking year. <laughs> it, it may be the park rights. Because that's, man, you talk about a fun rabbit hole to go down. Go down the park rights to comic book properties. Yeah. yeah. Especially with everything that's happened with Marvel. I went into all the monsters, right? Well, the mummy looked different. They wanted uh, the mummy to look like a fucking skeleton wrapped, which it did. And that Band-Aid breath really shows up later. <laughs> well, it's so bad. <laughs> No, it's not because fucking Rudy said it, okay? That makes it pure gold. Does it now? When this movie came out, everybody that was involved was so excited because this hit they had on their hands. And Fred Decker even took some of the kids in a limo. He picked them all up to take them to the opening showings at different theaters in California. And they would go in and find less than 10 people sitting in the houses watching the movie. Oh, damn. And the movie bombed. <laughs> bad <laughs> and people didn't get it they didn't get the fact that it looked like a kid's horror movie but also tried to look like a normal horror movie it came out two weeks after the lost boys came out so it's a huge change in culture right there yep some critics gave the movie decent reviews but others like i said just didn't get it and they just kept giving it shitty reviews so they couldn't even get word of mouth out and it's hard to remember, but back in the day, the only way you could get a review on a movie was your local newspaper. Yeah. Or Siskel and Ebert in the newspaper. Yeah. And if they shit on it. They shit on it. And then everybody else wrote about how they shit on it. Right, right. <laughs> and you couldn't go to the message boards or Reddit or something and talk to people about it. <laughs> what the fuck is the internet? <laughs> exactly. It instantly tanked and it even made Ryan, who played Rudy, quit acting or want to quit acting. He wouldn't tell anybody that he met, girlfriends, anybody that was in the fucking movie. Because he was so embarrassed. He was the badass. I know, but the movie flopped that fucking bad. And there was a lot of things that went into that. It was PG-13 because the PG-13 rating had came out in the U.S., but that made it, I don't remember if they call it Peggy, but it was rated 15 in the U.K. Ah. So you couldn't see the movie if you're under 15 without an adult with you, right? <laughs> and everything was focused at the PG age. Yeah. But the movie was PG-13 and, and 15. Right. So like the target audience couldn't go see the movie. <laughs> and like I said earlier, if they could have just waited a couple of months and could have said from the writer, a lethal weapon would have yeah. packed asses all through the seats. Right. <laughs> and the movie had the worst shitty billboards and posters you could ever imagine. 
they were wanted posters of the monsters and they didn't even have the actual monsters from the movie. Like it was a guy that looked like he was in a cheap plastic Dracula mask. Oh, it's no. Dracula and wanted and a shitty werewolf mask and a shitty Frankenstein <laughs> mask. And that was what they used to market this film. That's terrible, man. It was so cheesy and didn't even resemble anything. And Fred Decker, Shane Black, all the actors, everybody just thought they had a flop and nobody liked the movie and nobody saw it and they just forgot about it. And Fred Decker said he didn't know until 2006 that a single person liked this movie. Damn. And that's because in 2006, the Alamo Draft House decided to do a, a screening of it that sold out. So they had to make it multiple days. <laughs> and they got Andre Gower who plays Sean to come in. They got Ryan Lambert, who plays Rudy. They got Ashley Bank, who plays Phoebe. And they came and did like Q&As, and they're like, oh my God, this shit's fucking sold out. There's lines. <laughs> and that's basically what Wolfman's Got Nards is about. Oh, okay. Is that happening? And then it being a regular Alamo thing, and Alamo opening additional theaters, and they would do all the theaters, and it's like 10 years of those three going on tour Okay, for this movie. And nice. that's what the documentary really covers. Okay, I gotta they, watch this. Yeah, and they go to fans' houses to like show their fucking Monster Squad collections and shit, but it goes from like, they all thought the movie fucking everyone hated it and wished they were dead because it was so <laughs> bad, to realizing that it had a huge cult following, but it took until 2006, 16 years after the the movie came out damn for any of them to realize that it was loved and honestly they'd probably still be on tour doing shit if covid wouldn't happen because they were doing <laughs> it up until 2018 when the doc was being made oh wow and then you know the world ended shortly thereafter <laughs> while they're in post-production of that you know i'd kill to go to any of these like screenings and meet the actors well yeah it'd be fucking awesome we gotta keep an eye out for that and it influenced people that are in the business too like the guy who won awards for making the Shape of Water creature in The Shape of Water, would do cosplay stuff. And when Monster Squad came out, he did cosplay makeup for Monster Squad. When it came out, ended up in the paper and got called to go work on a movie. Oh, no Because shit. of his Monster Squad work. And he ended up making The Shape of Water guy. He did a lot of other shit. Like, it's just really neat that this guy was inspired by Monster Squad to make a cosplay that got him into special effects, essentially. And before I go into the movie, I am going to say that some of the dialogue in this film is not aged well. Yeah. And I'm really glad my kids haven't caught on to any of the words because the first time I played it for me had been a few years and I forgot about it. But there's some homophobia in the movie. Yeah, early. <laughs> there's some slut shaming. And I'm going to get to that when that scene comes up. Okay. What I've seen people say just fucking blows my mind about it. I, I just thought it wasn't nice that they're like, Making fun of her for not being a virgin, right? Yeah. But people go way out there on that, right? All right. And there's some body shaming with the fat kid, right? Definitely. But, I mean, we're both overweight, and sometimes fat kid jokes are kind of funny to us. They are. And I, I grew up a fat kid at times, and I got called all kinds of things. You know what that made me do? That made me be funnier. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Josh's Twitter name, when he posts on the Slice by Slice podcast, <laughs> is the real Pony Keg, because he was called Pony Keg growing up for being short and round, and he still embraces it at almost 40. <laughs> Shit, man, that was round two. That was in my fucking 20s. <laughs> I know, right? That was after I just, see, I got healthy at one point, and then I discovered marijuana and <laughs> oh, then I shit. then I got round again <laughs> and honestly I know there's some people with really low self-esteem that have a hard time and, and and that's really insulting for them to hear it it is and uh this shit wouldn't be in the movie if it was made nowadays but I do want to say 
that it's one of the few movies that really, to me, embraced what like 13 to 15 year old boys talked like in the 80s. Yes. Like you had movies that had kids in them in the 80s that you could tell adults wrote the script and it's not how we talked. Yeah. And then you watch this and, and you fucking belong. Like yeah. there's so many ways to belong. This movie. They all talk and act like we do, right? Like they're into weird shit. <laughs> and I don't know what that says about Shane, but. <laughs> Because he fucking really embraced the mind of a teenage child in the 80s. And, and yeah, a lot of that hasn't aged well, but it's pretty fucking accurate for how shit was back then. Yes. No, this and Goonies really nailed kid dialogue. If we ever get to interview Andre Gower, do not mention Goonies while talking about this movie. He'll just get up and walk off. It's a joke. <laughs> he does it as a joke. But, like, they get so insulted at this movie. Like, people would say the movie is just, like, a ripoff of the Goonies, but with monsters in it. And that was part of how it tanked and nobody went to go see it. No, this was friggin'. We talked about something else recently. Some, it was a show or a movie about being the horror Goonies, but that's basically what fucking stranger things is. But anyways, <laughs> no, this was totally different. It was a totally different vibe and it was a totally different angle for kids. Yeah. The only similarity is it had kids in the eighties. Yeah. So did my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But did you go on adventures? <laughs> I thought I was pretty adventurous. <laughs> we went to the wrong side of town. Exactly. <laughs> you lived in the wrong I was about to say, I lived in multiple wrong sides of town. I was the kid on the wrong side of the track. I moved out and moved into the wrong side of town. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm a dad in the burbs. Never thought that'd be me. Without further ado, let's dive into this awesome fucking film. Okay. Hell yeah. We're only like an hour in. Let's go. We start out with an opening crawl. You know how I love these from the 80s. And it says, 100 years before the story begins, it was a time of darkness in Transylvania, a time when Dr. Abraham Van Helsing and a small band of freedom fighters conspired to rid the world of vampires and monsters and to save mankind from the forces of eternal evil. And then you get a nice little space and then it rolls up and says, they blew it. <laughs> Tone set for this film. Fucking buckle up. We're going for a ride. The original opening scene that Shane Black wrote before I dive into the actual opening scene involves Van Helsing's crew coming in on Zeppelins, fucking attacking and bombing and paratrooping into the castle to get to Dracula. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Fred's like, no, nah, it's not going to fucking happen. And this is what we got instead. <laughs> the credits are rolling as the camera crawls through a cemetery in Transylvania into a castle full of coffins with brides of Dracula climbing out of the coffins and some creepy tarantulas. And we see a bat hanging from the ceiling and the bat opens its mouth and starts to scream and grows a little larger. And then the wings turn into a webbed hand drops to the ground and it's fucking Dracula in his costume. Badass looking Stan Winston <laughs> transformation. And we see him walking out in full fucking form, leaving his castle, right? We then cut to Van Helsing and crew storming the castle, blowing open the door and staking some Dracula brides while they enjoy a snack of possum, which is really weird because, like, you think you would see rats running through the tunnels, but it was armadillos instead. <laughs> and then when it comes time for the brides to pick them up and eat them, they're possums. So I don't know what the fuck was going on with the rodents. There. They shot it in the south. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> But Van Helsing and crew see a glowing amulet on a pedestal in the back of a room, right? And Van Helsing looks at his pocket watch and says that they only have three minutes left to bring in the girl. And a scared young girl comes in and begins to recite something in German. 
and shit starts to go awry. The undead's bursting out of the ground, and they're trying to fight that, and the ground's caving in, and finally a portal opens to Limbo, and it sucks the girl right fucking in. <laughs> she got the shit into this stick. Um, sucks the zombies in. The brides go in who've already been staked, so it's kind of a moot point on them. Yeah. And then Van Helsing and his men get sucked into the portal, and the portal closes. So now we see how they blew it. There are a number of deleted scenes for this movie. Okay. You can find most of them on YouTube. It's 13 minutes of film the studio wanted to cut out. All right. Most of them are irrelevant. However, <laughs> there was a deleted scene where Van Helsing staked Dracula and threw him in the wagon. He called him when he left the castle. Where was Dracula when they stormed the castle to get the amulet? Touche. Staked in a fucking wagon and they left a red shirt basically to fucking guard the wagon <laughs> and one of the brides came up and they kind of killed each other well he he needed a stake to kill her so he pulled the stake out of dracula's chest to stake her and dracula set up and killed him okay so that's how dracula didn't get sucked in the portal and that fixes the plot hole of why the fuck wasn't dracula at his castle <laughs> when van helsing stormed it they really should have kept that one <laughs> i agree the rest of them were kind of bullshit we then cut to present day, and we see Sean and Patrick meeting with the school principal over some disciplinary reports about him, and he brings up their monsters that they like to draw in class, like the spider with human head, and <laughs> they explain their monsters and their monster club that they have at school where they get together and draw these posters for the treehouse, right? Someone please make spider with human head. <laughs> I want that <laughs> yes. so bad. Call sci-fi. It's right up their alley. <laughs> exactly. Call the Sharknado people. Yes. Get them on it. We'll watch it. Speaking of cool shit, Sean has a red shirt on that says Stephen King rules on that shirt. And I wanted that shirt so fucking bad when I was a kid, but we didn't have the goddamn internet. So you couldn't get it, right? <laughs> And Josh, I know you and your wife like to find random t-shirts for me for <laughs> birthdays and Christmas. So I'm going to put two on a wish list. <laughs> I want a Stephen King rules t-shirt. Okay. And a monster squad t-shirt that looks like the poster. Okay. Those should be easy to find actually in this climate. But since you guys like to get me shirts, I'm just going to put that on there. Cause those will be fucking awesome. Hang on. I'm literally putting this on my memo on my phone right <laughs> okay. now. Okay. It's right up your alley for what you like to get me. And uh, I'll wear the shit out of them. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing a t-shirt that Josh and his wife got me for Christmas right now. Or no, birthday, birthday. And it looks like a tarot card with Michael Myers on it. And it says, <laughs> the boogeyman. Fucking love the shirt. Anyways, back to the movie. The principal explains that they are in a lot of trouble for drawing during their teacher's class. Where Patrick interrupts them. And says they call that teacher Mrs. Meow Mix or some shit like that <laughs> because she looks like a woman with a cat head, right? And he's like, and I find this disturbing, sir. Talking about how Sean and his friends say it, even though they're best friends, right? And the principal says that he gets it. He used to be a kid. He used to think that monsters were cool. But now he has a different prerogative on things, and he decides to give him a pep speech. I think science is cool. I dig it, man. <laughs> Science is real. Monsters are not. I think his point's debatable. And Sean agrees with me because he says that they can't actually prove that, that there's no monster. So damn right. They're then kicked out of his office and head down the hallway. And Patrick randomly asks Sean, where's fat kid? <laughs> we then cut to Horace being bullied by EJ and Derek. And I do want to point out that EJ 
is Fred Savage's older brother from the Wonder Years. Yes. And later in the movie, he's wearing the same football jersey that Fred Savage wears in A Princess Bride. No shit. Yeah, I don't know if it's a coincidence or what, but... Okay. I also don't remember whose jersey it is, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> Yay, sports ball. But EJ and Derek are assholes, and they keep calling him Fat Kid. They take a Snickers bar from him. They throw it on the ground. They stomp it. They take his Wonder Woman comic, and if I remember correctly, it was fake because it's a rare issue. Okay. Tear that shit in half in front of him. And Horace says he's not fat. He has a glandular problem, and it beats having a stupidity problem, right? <laughs> and then Horace mumbles that EJ's such an asshole, and EJ tackles him and begins to ground and pound him on yep. the ground, right? And there's a lot of um, colorful homophobic. Oh, yeah, <laughs> there is. Turn around right here. So uh, thanks, Aiden and Ella, for not asking questions when Daddy forgot that was in there. <laughs> But as EJ proceeds to beat the shit out of Horace, my badass childhood hero comes and slides his 10-speed bike in sideways, pops up his loafer, lights a match on it to let his smoke, right? And, I mean, he's dressed like a greaser. He is. And he's the older kid out of all of them. And actually, the actor that played Sean, Andre Gower, went to get the Rudy role. Oh, really? And he got the Sean role, and he's like, and that was perfect casting. <laughs> he's way cooler than I am. And he looks like a badass. And they even asked him on one of the Q&As, like, had you smoked before? Were you having to wing it? And he's like, I had partaked in smoking before this. And they gave me these nasty vegetable cigarettes that I'd have to smoke on set. So I just replaced them with my camels. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But I don't know. He was my fucking idol as a kid, right? But EJ immediately stops hitting Horace to greet Rudy, and he's obviously afraid of him. And Rudy says that he sees that EJ's met his friend Horace. And he tells EJ that he dropped his candy bar and he should pick it up and eat it. And he points at the smushed one. And EJ's so afraid of Rudy that he picks up the Snickers bar that he smushed on the ground and eats it in front of everyone. And Horace gives like this uh, very notable grin, like, yes, thank you. <laughs> from this happening, right? Because everybody, like, they're, all the kids in the school are there, like, fucking making fun of EJ at this point. Yeah. We cut back to Sean and Patrick as they're walking home with Phoebe, and they're arguing if Wolfman could drive a car or not. <laughs> and Phoebe's falling behind him because they're not really paying very good attention of the five-year-old they're supposed to be keeping track of. And Sean says that it's not like he's a normal guy. And Patrick says, what do you mean he's not a normal guy? He wears pants. And Sean lets him know that it was the 40s and he had to wear pants for obvious reasons. <laughs> he had to wear them so you wouldn't see his wolf dork. I don't know if you realize this, but the word nards is from this movie. Okay, I was going to ask that since we were covering this. That makes a whole lot of sense. And I say nards more than anything, and I didn't realize it originated from this film. Nads, for go nads, was the common one, right? Yeah, yeah. And also, I, I'm not sure of this one. I am 100% sure on the nards, but calling your junk a dork I got from this movie. Well, see, that one I'm not sure of, but nards, 100%. Pre-Beavis and Butthead, I said nards. Post Beavis and Butthead, I said Nads. Right. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of neat though out there. Nice. But we then see Phoebe run up to a gate and she says, look, it's the scary German guy. And they're watching his house and he's watching them out the window. And then they start to discuss their theories on the German guy. And they're startled by Horace as he jump scares them into frame, telling them that Rudy just saved his life and he wants them to join the monster club. Right. <laughs> 
best throwaway line in the history of film is right here. Because while he's saying that, they're like, Rudy, Indian Junior High, and Phoebe randomly in the background goes, I heard he killed his dad. (laughs) (laughs) Pure comic gold, right? Because there's all these legends about Rudy. Oh. They start adding all these to reasons why he shouldn't be able to join the club. And they're like, oh, we'll just give him a monster test, right? And when Phoebe gave her throwaway line, Horace called her Phoebe the Phoebe. She got sad and walked off. And she sees the scary German guy peeking at him out the window as the boys walk off to give Rudy his monster test. And she runs off scared after him. We then cut to an airplane flying through the sky. And it says Browning Airlines. And that's an Easter egg because Tom Browning directed the original 1931 Dracula film. Okay. And there's a couple of those in here, okay? We then cut to two American pilots flying an old World War II bomber while one of them complains about how weird it is to be flying a bomber full of dead bodies, right? And the other pilot reminds them that those dead bodies don't complain. They don't ask for peanuts. (laughs) They don't complain about the turbulence. And he realizes they got a good gig for him, right? And then they hear a thump in the back. I thought they were dead. They are. I'm going to check it out. You do that? I'll stay here and make spooky sounds. So the the main pilot goes to the back and starts to look at the crates as a bat buzzes by his head and he ducks and starts to hunt for the bat, not realizing that Dracula's standing fucking behind him at this point, right? Yeah. And he's smacked to the ground by Drac's strong pimp hand, right? <laughs> and if you look at the crate as he flies by, it says Bavaria Frankenstein, right? <laughs> On the crate. Yes. And the pilot realizes that Dracula's standing like on the Bombay doors, right? And he pulls the lever to open it, which drops the Bavaria Frankenstein coffin, and Dracula floats there in the air with his arms crossed with a cool guy's don't look at explosion stare as his cape sucked down. He's a film. Eyes glow red, and he turns into a bat and takes off. Very cool looking scene. Yes. We then see the crate crash into a lagoon, and then we see Drac hanging upside down from a tree as a bat. My only problem with the scene is the sun's up. I know. (laughs) And he's fucking Dracula, man. He don't give a fuck. Apparently. (laughs) And the camera does this thing where it starts to pan through the lagoon, and we realize how close it is to the treehouse. And you can actually see Dracula's cape sitting on a tree outside the the treehouse from where it fell. Yep. And this treehouse is fucking awesome. I was jealous of it as a child and I asked my dad to build me something like it. Never got the tree house. Okay. It's, it's an unrealistic tree house. It was a set. Okay. Yeah, that shit looked way bigger on the inside. Yeah. yeah. And inside said tree house, we can see Rudy getting his monster test. But while the guys are giving Rudy the monster test, he's more interested in the attractive girl changing next door, right? That he's watching from the window in the treehouse. But he seems to breeze through the questions anyways while he's checking her out until they ask him for the two ways to kill a werewolf. And he says there's only one way to kill a werewolf, silver bullet. He thinks it's a trick question. They tell him he failed and he can't be in the club. So he wants to know the other way. And they just start naming like power tools, car accident, (laughs) random shit. He's like, nah, only one way. (laughs) During all this, Phoebe tries to come up into the treehouse and Sean points out the no girl sign on the hatch. And she lets him know that mom said that that's prescription. And he lets her know that she means discrimination and that prescription is drugs, which she's on and she thinks she's coming in there. Right? (laughs) I love that whole lot of dialogue. That shit's great. And And we can see that the five-year-old sister really wants to be a part of the club and she's just not allowed, right? So she gets the boot and Eugene's in here. So we get to meet Eugene, which I don't know how the way younger boy 
ended up there. Yeah, that's weird. Unless somebody had to babysit him. And he has a dog that it's questionable how he gets in the uh, treehouse. <laughs> but Eugene doesn't speak much. He just happens to have a very memorable scene later. Actually, he has quite a few memorable lines. They're just very short, not punch lines, but they're like, they're fucking one-liners, right? But it's starting to become nighttime, and Sean has to go in for dinner, and his mom stops him from, like, stealing a carrot off the plate and tells him it's going to ruin his dinner, and he can't have snacks for dinner. I mean, (laughs) there's a fucking carrot. (laughs) He didn't grab a handful of M&Ms out of the bowl. He didn't grab a bag of chips. He's trying to eat a carrot. Oh. Anyways, his mom got him the diary of Abraham Van Helsing at an estate sale at the old creepy mansion on Shadowbrook Lane or Road or whatever the fuck it is, right? Fuck yeah, mom. Yeah, he's so pumped, except for it's in German. <laughs> right? Fuck you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> we also see Sean ask his dad if he can go see the new slasher movie Groundhog's Day 12 with his friends, and he's told no because his parents have to go to a marriage counseling for a date, and he has to stay home and watch his sister. And there's a lot of jokes in here made at the expense of the slasher subgenre. Yeah. Fucking love it. Yes. <laughs> we both have another like jealous thing of fucking Sean here in a minute. <laughs> but Sean's dad receives a call from his partner saying that they have to go to a call that's eyed. And we can see him tell his wife that he has to reschedule their meeting because of work and that she knew what she was getting into marrying a detective. And you can tell it's a huge strain on the marriage and she doesn't give a fuck and he heads off, right? Yep. We can see his partner getting ready to leave and meet him as a desperate man is being brought in by the police, begging for help and ranting about needing to be locked up because it's a full moon and he's a werewolf and he's going to hurt somebody. And they try to wrestle him down and he sees the full moon and gets a burst of strength and begins to whoop all of their asses and grab one of their guns. And he starts to fire it in the air while yelling, lock me up. And then another cop comes in and shoots him, taking him down. During all this, we see Dracula roll up in his badass hearse mobile, right? And he stares down the town on a cliff as the lightning starts to strike. Let it begin. It's a very memorable scene, though, because as the lightning strikes, you can see a skull, right? Through his yep. skin. And I always thought it looked badass. That is also the same model that was used as another prominent car in a movie we're going to cover in this episode, Three Years Removed. Is that the same car? Yep. Three. One of them, I forget which one did which, but one of them used a 50, like a 59 and the other one used a 61. Okay. But yeah. Same. Oh, it wasn't literally the same no, car. No, no, it wasn't okay. literally the same car, but the same, the same model, just three years removed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's weird tie-ins between these two movies. I never <laughs> fucking realized until this episode. Well, you just have to let me finish my fucking movie before we get in your fucking movie. Okay. <laughs> I got to say it now. I'm going to totally forget by the time I get to my movie. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I'm just. Joshing with you. Thanks, man. Not like I haven't heard that 400 times before. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we got to a museum where we can see Sean's father, Dell, and his partner, Rich, interviewing an old security guard about a missing mummy. And Rich has given the guard a real fucking hard time because it doesn't make any sense to them that the body's missing and he didn't hear anybody come in or go, right? And Rich ends up the jokes with, this case is too hard, let's quit, we should have been firemen instead, right? <laughs> and Dell the whole time just like, shut the fuck up, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, phoning it in, man. Phoning the fuck yeah. in. <laughs> but then Dale gets real serious and he tells him to stop joking. And then he delivers the awesome throwback line from Night of the Creeps. 2,000 year old dead guys don't get up and walk away by themselves. And this is, of course, a throwback to when Tom Atkins says that corpses that have been dead for 27 years don't get up and go for a walk by themselves. It's almost the same line. Fred Decker threw it in, and I'm fucking glad he did because it's an awesome little tie between the two. Yep. And, of course, just like Night 
Night of the Creeps, we then cut to a dead man walking down the street. Only this time it's a mummy, right? <laughs> the mummy's walking down a road past a coroner's van that we cut inside the coroner's van and see that the desperate man's in a body bag and he's dead until the full moonlight comes through and we start to see his toes kick through his boots and the bag move him. And then he pops up in a whirl form and kills the driver, right? Yep. We then cut to a woman screaming, and it's a cool hard cut going from him attacking the driver to the woman screaming. And you think a woman's being attacked, but you see that it's through Sean's binoculars. He lives close enough to the fucking drive-in that he can go out his second-story window and sit on the roof with snacks and the radio and fucking watch the movie at the drive-in from his house. I was very jealous of that as well as a child. Yes. And while Sean's up there watching the movie, his dad kind of keeps part of the promise with him because his dad told me to take him to see the movie the next day. I was actually under the impression he possibly watched the other 11 Groundhog's Days with his dad, right? <laughs> possibly. But his dad startles him as he comes up behind him on the roof with Burger King for Sean and beer for himself because he's had a weird fucking night, right? That's why you ate Burger King on the way here. Oh my God, it was fucking <laughs> subconsciously beating in my head. I never eat Burger King. So they live was right. <laughs> Do I? They live was right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they sit down and watch this ridiculous movie together, and it does not have Bill Murray in, <laughs> in case you were wondering. We cut to Rich on the radio in his squad car, and he's at the scene of the crashed coroner van, and the dispatcher's making fun of Rich for now losing two dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> we then cut to the lagoon and see the wolfman walk up to Dracula, who he's obviously obeying and, and cowering to. And then the mummy comes up as well. And they all walk to the water's edge together as we see Gilman, because he can't be the creature, the creature from the Black Lagoon, jump out of the water, flexing the Frankenstein crate over his head. He's got some strength, because that's a big <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah, it is. And throws it on the shore. They open the crate, and we can see that, surprise, Frankenstein's monster's inside, right? No shit. <laughs> Dracula says that it's been so very long, and then he pulls these jumper cable things out of his pimp cane, right? And he attaches them to the bolts on the temple of Frankenstein monster's head because they can't be on the neck. And he extends the pimp cane into the heavens and uses it as a lightning rod to catch the lightning. And reviving Frankenstein's monster, this is both as ridiculous as it sounds and fucking awesome at the same time. That's what I was going to say. This is just insane enough to be okay. <laughs> I think it's awesome. But when the lightning comes down, it does revive Frank, and he immediately says, don't die, master, as he reaches for Drac, who looks very heart-warmed by it, right? Yeah. Like they're old friends, but he's got this, don't die, master. So I don't, I'm assuming there fucking something was written that happened that we didn't get to see with okay. Frank in the opening scene. It's not one of the deleted scenes, but I, I did want to get a quote that I wasn't sure exactly what it was. So I downloaded a copy of the screenplay of this film and I was like 20 pages in and it was a different movie with characters with different names. It was actually Shane Black's Monster Squad, but like, I don't know what the fuck happened from paper to shooting that movie. <laughs> So I just left it be unless I had something that had the same title made by Shane. I don't know. It was fucking confusing. So we're going to go with there was a lot of rewrites. Yeah. So when Fred Decker's like, I changed some shit. <laughs> he changed some shit. <laughs> I can't confirm or deny any of this. Anyways, we cut to Sean's house as we see mom tucking Phoebe in a bed and telling her not to be afraid of the thunderstorm. And telling her not to be scared of the monsters that Sean's always talking about, right? <laughs> and she tells her that the candle 
would keep everything bad away. And that's what her mother told her. And I was going to leave the whole candle bit out <laughs> until I rewatched the movie one more time this morning with my daughters. And I caught something later in the movie. Okay. So I wanted to bring it up. And I think it's this part of the movie that she shows her dog scraps. Like she has a stuffed animal named scraps. Wants her mom to kiss it. She has scraps everywhere with her in the movie. It's like on her belt loop, on her backpack yep. loop. And, and she's obviously very close to scraps. And that, that needs to be said as well. Yeah. For one of the saddest scenes in the history of film to me <laughs> as a child. But we cut to Sean in the house and he's watching his parents yell, scream, and argue with each other. And then he notices that on the whiteboard next to their landline, it says, for Sean, caller, Mr. Alicard. <laughs> message interested in Van Helsing diary, possible money. Right. <laughs> and I want to say that because of this next scene in the movie, when I played Castlevania three, Oh, you already knew, huh? I was not surprised who <laughs> Alucard was. Okay. Like monster squad fucking gave me a spoiler on a game. that wasn't out yet. Oh. I say that, but watch me have a correction on the next episode <laughs> and realize that Castlevania three came out before 1987. Oh, I'll get back to you guys on that one. <laughs> but Sean sets down with a pen and a pad of paper, and he very quickly figures out that Alucard is an anagram of Dracula. Yes, right? it is. And we then cut to Eugene. There's a lot of cuts in this movie, but they're great. We cut to Eugene getting his Kmart Gilbert Godfrey dad, right? Because he looks just like <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey to me, to tell him that there's a monster in his room. And his dad goes in and busts open the door, and he acts like the room's full of monsters, and he's shooing them all away and yelling at these invisible monsters. And Eugene tells him to check the closet. And he walks up to the closet and he opens the door without looking in. And we can see the mummy's trying to sleep in there with his arms <laughs> crossed. He's like, ooh, scary, the monster. And Eugene's got his fucking eyes covered. And his dad's like, you better cut the fucking crap. I'm going to make it where you can't watch monster movies anymore. You can forget it if you think you're sleeping in the bed with your, your mom and I. And his dad leaves the room and we can see mummy skirting out the window, right? Like, he just wanted to fucking place to sleep he's gonna give this hotel horrible reviews <laughs> i noticed on his desk i don't remember what they were called but they made these stuffed animal monsters when we were kids and they came with handcuffs and you could break them yep and they made different ones eugene literally has the one that i had oh really sitting on his desk i can remember seeing yours i yeah. never had them but i remember yours yeah eugene has the same one i had but they made different ones love that scene though we cut to an emergency meeting in the treehouse where Sean explains that they are now the monster squad and that there are real monsters in the town and they need to do something about it. And he tells the werewolf story that he overheard his dad talking about and then he thinks Dracula might be here too. And then he also mentions that a mummy was stolen from the museum. And Eugene goes, mummy came to my house and they just fucking ignore him, yep. right? And then they start complaining about how fat Kit farted and Sean gets pissed because he's trying to be serious and they're not taking him <laughs> seriously. And one of the other funny jokes in this scene is they're like, what's a squad? And one of them's like, I don't know. I think it's like Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> but Sean gets pissed, like I said, gets super serious. And he says they have to do something about it. And then he mentions the diary that he got and that it's in German. And Patrick says that his sister speaks German. And Horace says, no, she doesn't. All she does is sit around and let guys touch her tits, right? And Rudy <laughs> then makes a joke about your sister wouldn't happen to be the girl next door, would she? And Patrick's like, yeah, what of it, right? And, and Rudy's like, oh, fuck. Very teenage boy. Yes. I'm just saying that all Straight thing. up. 
They then officially declare themselves as the monster squad at this point, right? And they throw their hands in for like a, the huddle, like, let's go thing, including the dog. Yes. That doesn't last. And this is where Rudy's like, how does this dog get up here anyways? <laughs> then it just cuts. Yeah. It's actually a voiceover. You can't see him saying yes. it. So I feel like it was done in post, right? I love it because it's one of those that you're sitting there thinking like, how the fuck does that dog? <laughs> it exactly. just says it, man. It's so good. You almost feel like they were watching dailies or something, <laughs> and they're like, we need Ryan to fucking do this line, right? Probably. We then cut to Dracula in his mansion talking to Frankenstein's monster. I'm just, can I call him Frank? You can, because they end up doing that in the movie, even though it's not correct, and we know it's not correct. Jesse knows it's not correct, but it's fucking shorter to say. Frank is way shorter. It's one syllable. I think Frank makes it okay. If you actually say Frankenstein referring to the monster, that's a no-no. Which the kids do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to call him Frank. <laughs> Anyways, Dracula's talking to Frank and telling him that the kids have his diary, and he needs him to go and take the diary from him, and he can kill him if he has to, right? Yep. And Frank's like, yeah, whatever, master, right? <laughs> but he talks like this. He talks like that, the fucking big thing in Labyrinth. Yeah. Groot. I almost said Grudo. What the fuck is- I, I thought you were going to say Groot. I am Groot. <laughs> fuck, what is that thing called that's going to bother me now? In Labyrinth. The, Which the, one? There's a lot of them. The stinky. The, the big hairy thing that the- Oh my God, I can't think of his name. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. But he talks like him. <laughs> We'll refresh your memories on that after we refresh ours on the next episode on updates. <laughs> Anyways, we cut to the next day and we can see Sean, Patrick, and Horace go into scary German guy's house to ask him to read the diary. And they're all scared shitless to go to the door knock and arguing over who gets to do it. And Patrick says, how do you say, please do not murder us in German. <laughs> and then this scary German guy steps into frame from behind him and obliges with the translation, right? Yep. We then cut to Frank walking up to little Phoebe as she's playing next to the water. And this is a very reminiscent shot of the iconic scene of Frankenstein's monster walking up to the girl and the original Frankenstein movie that he ends up accidentally killing. Yep. It looks a lot like it. I'm really glad they threw it in there. We cut back to the scary German guy's house and we can see him standing there with a knife on a tight shot, right? As it pulls back and he says, time is almost up for pie, right? <laughs> and he cuts the pie and he serves the kids some more pie and they all have Pepsis and they're having a great time. And we can see that he's, like, giving him pie and Pepsi while reading the diary to him, right? But while he's reading him the diary, he tells him it's the story about good versus evil, right? And how good and evil are in constant flux and that every 100 years they're balanced out and that there's an amulet that is concentrated goodness and it can hold off the evil. And it's indestructible except for during this, like, stroke of midnight every 100 years, right? And it can be destroyed at the stroke of midnight at that point in time. Design flaw. So it can be used to get rid of the evil or get destroyed at the same time. And that explains why Dracula had the one thing that could kill him sitting in his castle because he was waiting for midnight to roll around so he could fucking destroy it so he could never be killed. He just happened to get staked, which temporarily puts him in a torpor. But now we're getting the Vampire of the Masquerade rules, okay? <laughs> but that's what happens. I thought you were listening a little bit there, buddy. <laughs> That's basically what happened, okay? And we know that when Mark Ryan Hagen wrote Vampire the Last Grand Rules, he grew up watching this fucking movie too, okay? Oh, this is all, yes. <laughs> I sound like a madman, but I'm a madman spitting the truth. 
This episode's going to be way long, guys. No shit. <laughs> and I really don't care because I'm having a lot of fun. But long story short, scary German guy reads that there's a ceremony you perform with a ritual and it summons a portal to limbo and it'll swallow the forces of evil forever. Okay. That's the goal that they want to have. Sean wants to know if the diary describes the ceremony and he says that it does and that the last entry in the journal was them going to do that. And would he know the anniversary of the hundred year rotation is tomorrow? Oh, how convenient. <laughs> That's why all of this is coming together. My question is, was the desperate man, the wolf man before this night, was this his first rotation? Cause why didn't the town know they had a werewolf problem? No, this has to be his first. And he's like drawn into Dracula, right? Exactly. It's, it's like, it's everything coming together because of the evil and the anniversary and whatnot. Yes. But the guys leave the house and say goodbye after having a great time. And he explains that they should not be scared of him because he cannot be a monster. And he explains why horse says that he sure knows a lot about monsters. And he says that he guessed that he does. And he shuts the door. And as he shuts the door, you can see his concentration camp tattoo on his wrist from world war two. So yeah, he knows a lot about monsters. And I also want to point out during the pie book whole scene, there's a menorah shown on a table behind him. If you're yep. paying attention and there's some star of David candle holders yeah. also up on the mantle. Like, and I love that. I love that it's scary German guy. And this guy knows all about monsters because he knows all about real monsters. Yeah. And, uh, that's a fun thing. Cause we've seen that. This is not the first movie to play the, uh, the scary house that you don't get frisbees on the roof or baseballs in the yard <laughs> turns out being the hero, you know, right. or, or, or a turning point in the film. This guy does it. And I love the whole take on quote unquote monsters and understanding monsters. That part just makes it so much deeper. If we didn't have scary German guy in the movie, we wouldn't have an anchor to, to ground it in reality for yeah. watchers outside of just the kids is what I'm trying to get pretty at. much. Yeah. And then it kind of explains why he's willing to believe anything. Oh right? yeah. Cause he's, as we say on this podcast, he's seen some shit. Exactly. <laughs> but we see the guys start walking down the street, explaining how all they have to do is find this ambulance and have a virgin read the ritual and blammo, the monsters are gone to limbo, right? They then approach Rudy as he's eating and taking a sip of his Pepsi and ask him if he knows any virgins. And he spits soda out everywhere. <laughs> I picked the wrong time to be drinking a beer. <laughs> right. <laughs> we then see the guys now joined by Rudy walking through the lagoon to the treehouse as Sean gives instructions for Rudy to go get him silver bullets and for Patrick to get a map and figure out where the mansion is. And there's a lot of bitching here about how they're supposed to do all this. <laughs> and Phoebe runs up to get their attention and they ignore her until she bites Sean on the hand and she says, well, you look and Frank walks out, right? The boys all scatter. <laughs> And hide like little cowards around and inside various things. Yes. As Frank smiles because he thinks it's hilarious. He thinks they're playing with him. And Phoebe grabs his finger because she's so little and he's so big. And they walk closer and she tells him not to be scared, that he's their friend, and they should not all be chicken shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, love, I love her saying that. Yes. She says she loved getting to say that line because she got to cuss. And she was like five. <laughs> She then walks Frank towards them and introduces him to Sean as he pats Frank on the back and says, guys, come over. This guy's great. And Frank smiles and he decides to pat Sean on the back the same way, but it slings him like eight feet onto the ground, right? Because he's so big and strong. <laughs> yes, it lays his ass out. It's so yeah. good. They then head to the treehouse with Frank to have a meeting. And like I said earlier, he took up almost the entire treehouse set because he was almost seven foot tall in his full get up. 
And there's some awesome posters in this yes. treehouse. You got Lucio Fulci Zombie. You got like Vampire Circus, which pops up 80s movies all the time. Those are Lost Boys, right? You, you've got Return of the Living Dead. That exactly. You, you can't see the name of the movie, but if you know the tagline, you spot it. Exactly. And, and there's all sorts of badass posters in here. We get a good little shot of them in this scene. We can see that Phoebe has been teaching Frank how to talk, and he can say things like bogus and give me a break. <laughs> and... He's also a huge fan of her stuffed animal scraps, right? And he can say scraps name. But the squad's basically trying to figure out what they're going to do with Frank as he sees Patrick's sister changing clothes and undressing across the way. And there's a camera set up there. I'm assuming it's Rudy's camera. Has and to be. he accidentally hits the button on the camera. Focus. They then hand him a Frankenstein's monster mask, and he realizes what he really looks like. Gary. But they all feel really bad for him, and we see him walk off into the sunset together. We then cut to Drac and the Wolfman walking through some tunnels looking for the amulet, which Dracula can sense for some fucking reason. And he says that Van Helsen's disciples were clumsy in hiding the amulet from him. And then he stops at a spot in the wall and he smashes it with a hammer and discovers the amulet, but it's completely guarded by crosses. And he says that soon the creatures of the night shall rule the world and there's no one that can stop them. Cue the 80s montage, including one of the film's theme songs. This is one of the best parts of covering a fucking 80s movie. I say it every time. <laughs> we see the kids going through various tasks and prepping for their battle. And we can see Rudy making steaks in shop class. Eugene's writing letters to the army to come stop the monsters. Patrick is making Monster Squad business cards. And Phoebe's playing E.T. dress up with Frank, right? Yeah. And Rudy's making silver bullets in, a, in science class or something. And then we see Rudy steal a bow and arrow set from PE class. I think Rudy's possibly the only one actually prepping for battle in this montage. Okay. Uh, yes. But let's take this back for a second because I got to go on a bit of a rant. Um, <laughs> with the way things are today. No shop class is going to let you cast fucking bullets. Um, was there ever a time when a shop class would let you cast bullets? Not that I know of, but he is hiding from the teacher and he turns his back when the teacher's walking to block the teacher's view. So I think he did it all on the sly. He bought this shit out of like the back of a comic book. <laughs> oh, the actual casting. Yes. I have no fucking clue where he got that from. But it doesn't matter because he's fucking Rudy. <laughs> exactly. Maybe... The school lets the students make the ammo for the trap team. Fuck, man. that's I'm okay with this because back <laughs> then it was okay to teach kids to shoot. <laughs> we have trap at the private school I work at. That's a good thing. Yeah. Fuck it. You never know when you're going to need to survive on rabbit. You can't survive on only rabbit, though. Rabbits are too lean. You still need fat. You can't survive on rabbits. It's called rabbit starvation. I'm being serious. Duly noted. But anyways, the guys do manage to locate the mansion on the map. Right. So they did do something, I yes. guess, to contribute to Rudy's hard work here. <laughs> and and the mansion's on Shadowbrook Lane, like mom said. However, we get to see that it's next to Cheney College. Oh. Which is named after Lon Cheney Jr., the Wolfman. So it's cool they put some throwbacks in here. We then get to see Rudy, because this is still the montage going yes. with the song. Rudy goes to Fox Photos to get the uh, film from the camera developed, and he's drinking the Pepsi walking, going through the photos, because I'm, I'm guessing they took, like, mansion shots, right, and they were trying to go through it. And he gets to the one of Patrick's sister that Frank took accidentally, spitting his soda once again. And then we end the montage with 
Rudy's smoking a cigarette, smiling up against a fence while Frank's got shades on, <laughs> like some Ray-Bans, looking at the photo, and everybody else is hopping up trying to get it because they want to see what's on it, right? Yes. Except for what's-her-face's younger brother who just wants to get the picture away from them. Exactly. <laughs> and Phoebe's jumping for the photo, which is kind of disturbing. But I think it's just because she wants to join in on the game, right? Yes, she's just wanting to play. But we have to see what everyone else is doing. So we can see that Drac has the desperate man tied up in a chair and he's drugging him to keep him there at bay until he can use him again, right? At, at the nighttime when he's wolfed out. Yes. And his wolf dork is swinging around. <laughs> Dracula then steps into the pantry for a snack where he has three girls locked up, right? However, once Drac is out of sight, we see the desperate man spit all the pills out that Dracula was force feeding him. He doesn't want to take that shit, and he starts trying to slip out of the ropes. Yep. We cut to the police station as Rich is telling Dell that a black hearse with a skull hood ornament was spotted at the scene of the ambulance wreck the night before, right? Dell then gets a call on his desk phone, and it is the desperate man saying that he's a werewolf and that he was the one they shot the night before, and he starts warning him about the man with the amulet and tells Dell that the man is going to kill his son soon. This strikes a nerve with Dell, and all this happens as we're watching him transform into a werewolf in a phone booth. <laughs> and guys, a phone booth was a box that you would see <laughs> on the side of the road with a phone and a phone book, and you put change in and you can make a phone call. We can see Sean and Eugene are waiting at the treehouse as Patrick and Rudy go to talk to Patrick's sister. I wonder what they need to talk to her about. We see Sean on the walkie-talkie with the guys, and Eugene is hanging out by the water's edge at the lagoon behind Sean. And the gill man pops up, and Eugene drops his Twinkie and runs off. And he keeps trying to get Sean's attention while Gillman's in the water grabbing the Twinkie. And then the Gillman goes underwater, and he finally gets Sean's attention, but Gillman's not there, and he wants to let Sean know what he saw. Creature stole my Twinkie. Eugene is seeing all of the best shit and telling the guys, but nobody will listen. Yep. We see that Patrick and Rudy have brought the sister to the treehouse, and she's kind of weirded out by it, and she wants to know why they brought her up there, and Patrick tries to ask her if she's a virgin, but he does this by coughing and covering his mouth, and it's all inaudible, so Rudy has to step in and take charge, right? I hope I can do this. And he asks her that they want to know the degree to which she may or may not have been at some point of time been dorked. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that's fucking that's the most 80s thing in the fucking movie. <laughs> the way Rudy delivers it is fantastic. Also, or Ryan delivers it rather. Yeah, because that's the first time in the movie that he goes from cool dude to regular dude. Well, he actually is saying it so nonchalantly, like it doesn't even phase him that he's still badass Rudy, right? Like he's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this is easy. But he's talking like a regular dude while having yes. the confidence of the badass dude. But she's, of course, freaked out by the question, and then Rudy flashes the nudie pic, and he lets her know that Fox Photo has a two-for-one deal right now on photos, <laughs> and that there's a spot on the bulletin board where he could hang the photo in between, like, the prom queen and, like, the score and touchdown, so everybody'd see it, right? And he tries to play it like a badass, and we cut away, but we assume that she agreed to the terrorist demands. Of course. Point. Whoa, whoa, Rudy's a fucking terrorist now? <laughs> <laughs> as far as this scene is concerned, Yes. We then cut to Sean, Eugene, Horace, and Frank as they approach the mansion, and Sean wants to go in, and Horace tries to rethink the club. And then Frank chimes in with Master is near, and Master wants children dead. They then proceed to approach the mansion. <laughs> Horace thinks they should be like a book club or something else, right? Yes. 
We cut to the basement and we can see Drax setting up some dynamite in a plunger to blow the wall open where the amulet is. At this point, the boys walk in the house and Frank follows behind. He takes a step and his large foot makes a creaking sound on the floorboards. And this seems to make the plunger fall. Yeah. For the, for the dynamite. As Drax looking up at the creek. Could have been magic though because he does some shit later. True. But the dynamite explodes, and this causes the ceiling upstairs to collapse, and Frank tries to hold it up for a second so the kids can get away, which they do, but he's then pinned down and crushed by it, right? And we do not know his state at this point. Just like Sloth. Yeah, yeah. But all the kids think Frank's dead, right? And they're very upset about this. Sean then tells them that Frank's not a monster, because they said, oh, we got to get the monster, Sean. He's like, he's not a monster. He died to save us and that we need to go get the amulet. So he didn't die in vain. Right? Yeah. He's the tallest motherfucker of the monster squad. Exactly. At this time, the wolf man jumps in between the boys and Sean yells to kick him in the nards and horse says, wolf man ain't got nards. And Sean tells him to kick him anyways. And they deliver us the, most famous fucking quote from the movie, which yes. is Wolfman's got nards, right? When he kicks, because he, he fucking grabs his crotch and, you know, reels over in pain after a horse kicks him, right? Yes. But the boys take this opening after kicking Wolfman in the nards, and they run off as he's trying to cough his nuts up out of his stomach, right? And then they get cornered in between the Wolfman, Drac, and the now three-turned brides. As Sean realized, the statue they're standing in front of is probably a Hardy Boys secret passage. Yes. And we did see Dracula use the statue yep. earlier in the movie. Pull the arm down at secret passage. But they pull the arm down instead of the wall swinging open like it did for Drac, the floor open, and they all fall. We then see Patrick, his sister, and Rudy waiting at the burger joint, and they're unable to get Sean on the walkie. The sister says that maybe the monsters got him, and then Rudy sarcastically mumbles that back to her. And we can see at this point, they apparently told her the whole story, and yeah. she just doesn't believe him, right? Back at the mansion, the kids come to, and they see that the amulet is sitting on a pedestal surrounded by crosses, right? So Sean goes for it, grabs the amulet, and comes out of the tunnel only to be grabbed by Dracula. He took care of the dirty work with the crosses for him, right? Yep. Luckily, fat kid's hungry because he's a fat kid, and he brought lunch with him, and he had a <laughs> slice of pizza wrapped in aluminum foil and tucked in his jacket pocket, and he smashes it on Dracula's face, which burns Dracula, makes him scream, and drops Sean because there was garlic on the pizza, <laughs> and the boys are able to escape. As they run out of the mansion, they run into Phoebe in scary German guy's Jeep, and then Rudy, Patrick, and the sister come rolling up on bicycles to save him, right? Yep. Sean says they need to get to Holy Ground, and Scary German Guy recommends that they head to the clock tower before... Oh, oh wait. No, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> they got to head to the church, but it's the same set from Back to the Future, including the clock tower that they use for the clock to keep track of time the whole time in the scene. Okay. I thought that looked familiar, and you're being serious, not funny? Yeah. It's okay. Actually <laughs> that makes it all make sense now. When they're checking the clock to see if it's midnight, it's the clock tower that fucking lights up the flux capacitor so that Marty can go back to the future. But either way, they head off to town square, right? We quickly cut to Dell and Rich heading to the old mansion, and Rich is making fun of Dell for taking a tip from a crazy guy on the phone saying he's a werewolf. And then we cut back to the guys and scary German's Jeep, right? Like the squad. It's not just the guys. Phoebe and the sister's there. Yeah, they're all piled in now. And I'm not being lazy. She's literally credited as Patrick's sister in the credits, and they never address her by name. Damn. She doesn't have a name. But as the squad's cruising away in the Jeep, the mummy steps out in front of the Jeep and then jumps on the Jeep. 
And Rudy's got a great idea. He tells Patrick to grab the fucking cloth. And Patrick's being a sissy and he's scared. He won't yep. do it. So Eugene's dog does it for him instead. Brings the wrapping to Rudy, who wraps it around an arrow. I don't remember if it's a normal arrow or one of his stake arrows that should be too it's heavy a normal to shoot. Arrow. And, and he aims at a tree as they fly by. Shoots the arrow with the mummy wrapping tied to it into the tree which starts to unravel the mummy quickly as they drive away. Yes. Yanking just dust in a skull, bouncing down the street, killing the mummy. See you later, band-aid breath. This is like one of my favorite monster kills in the movie because I buy the rationale of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just want to point out that Rudy's saving the day here. He just took out one of the monsters. Yeah. I'm going to keep track of this as we go. We cut back to the squad car that we quickly cut away from earlier as they're hauling ass down the street and Rich is making fun of Dell. He's like, oh, you're driving awfully fast. And I noticed this because I'm a very good police officer <laughs> and, and Rich is scared shitless. And we see another car come around the corner ahead of him and we change perspectives and we can realize it's Dracula in the hearse hauling ass playing chicken with them. And then he phases through their car for some fucking reason instead of just taking them out there. It's a ghost car. And Rich now believes all of this crazy shit that Dell's spewing out, and he knows something's going on, right? He's like, not another word. <laughs> we cut to Sean's house as Dracula pulls up in his hearse, and he walks to the back and just straight up fucking rips the back door off the hearse, right? And slings it like it's nothing. And he grabs a dynamite bundle, heads to the treehouse, looks at the fuse, and it ignites. That's his magic I was talking about earlier. So he could have done ah. the plunger. And then he chunks the dynamite. As he walks away with the cool guys, don't look at explosions look. And he badassly says, meeting adjourned, right? <laughs> and it blows up. The whole scene's awesome, except for when you watch it, it shows Dracula with the bundle and he rolls it on the grass in front of him. And then it cuts to it flying through the window. Oh, that's terrible. Because they didn't want him to actually throw whatever they lit into the treehouse. I guess they're afraid of starting a fire or something, but they kept it and you can see him like roll it on the ground in front of him. Oh, that's so lame. Yeah, it kind of bothers me. I didn't catch that. I watch this movie a lot. <laughs> Dell then pulls up and gets out of the car, and he trains his gun on Dracula, who pulls out another stick of dynamite, looks at it, and he lights it with his fire starter powers, or whatever shit he's got, and he chunks it under the squad car that Rich is in. And Dell's able to dive away, but Rich was stuck in the car, and he gets blown up. And Dell starts blasting Dracula, and the bullets seem to bounce off of him like he's Superman as the mom runs out in time to hear him say, I will have your son, and then he turns into a bat and flies away. So now they know all this shit's real. Yep. And earlier when I referenced the mom talking about the candle, she is packing in the house, okay? And it's, yeah. it's not really well noticed, but Dale bursts in the house looking for the kids shortly after this. You can see all her bags at the foot of the stairs. But while she's packing, and, and it's right after the scene where we see the hearse drive through Dale and Rich, okay. she's got a candle lit in the living room, and the fucking flame goes out, and she turns around startled because the flame went out, and Dracula pulls up out front. Oh, that's the monster protection flame. So the candle actually does work, but it's fucking Dracula, so he was able to put it out. Okay. I thought that was a really neat touch. I didn't catch that. hundred nice. times watching this movie and I've never called it. I saw it this morning. <laughs> but at this point, I'm going to dive into the third act of the film. Holy shit. Yes, Josh. I happen to fucking like this film. So I'm talking about it at length. Okay. <laughs> but we see a panic Dell grab the spare walkie out of the house. Right. And this is where you notice mom's bags packed. Right. And he starts asking for Sean to figure out where they're at. And Sean's like, we're at town square. Come here. Right. <laughs> Doc Brown's fuck, right there. Exactly. They got to help fucking Marty, right? 
And we cut to the squad arriving at the church that they can't get into because it's locked, right? And Rudy's kicking the shit out of the door, and Sean's like, don't do that, it's religious. He's like, it's locked, that's what it is. And Sean suggests they do it in the parking lot, and Horace is like, that's just great, why don't we just do it in the Burger King? Which (laughs) I think is in the same place as the Fox photo, and they just changed the sign. But while they're trying to prep for Patrick's sister to horribly recite the ritual, the three brides start to approach. And Rudy just lights a cigarette and starts taking off towards them as scary German guys trying to coach Patrick's sister. And they're like, what are you doing, Rudy? And he's like, I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? I fucking love that line. And Patrick's sister's fucking terrible at reciting the ritual. And she mentions how she's fucking German. As Rudy slowly walks up, pulls an arrow off his back, puts it in the bow, and he fucking manages to shoot one of them in the heart, taking her down. And then he's a little too slow as the other one approaches. So then he reaches in and just pulls one out and he manually stakes her, right? Much to the team's amazement. Even Patrick's like, is this really happening? We then see Dracula swooping in in bat form as Dell pulls up, blasting him with his fucking revolver a few times as he crashes through a window. This part's a little confusing. We see Dell get out with a dynamite stick, which I'm assuming he took out of the hearse. I don't know where he has, di- has a bag of dynamite. So I'm assuming it's Dracula's bag out of the hearse. And he runs into the room where Dracula crashed through the window and he finds Dracula laying there as a half man, half bat. It looks badass. Yes. But he's like bleeding out from the gunshot wounds, which we saw the bullets ricochet off earlier. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's not bulletproof in bat form, <laughs> but he can heal really fast. I don't fucking know. That's what I'm going to tell myself because I love this movie. But. Dale says, suck on this bitch as he lights the fucking dynamite stick. And then Wolfman sneaks up behind him and starts to beat the shit out of him, causing him to drop the dynamite stick. And as he's getting chunked around, Sean sneaks up behind the werewolf who can't smell or hear him for some reason, even though he's a fucking apex predator (laughs) and says, hey, asshole. And when the werewolf turns around, he says, major look and smacks him in the head with a baseball bat. Dad then grabs the dynamite stick off the ground sticks it in his pants, and pushes him out the window, blowing him into fucking meatloaf everywhere. Yes. And Drax snuck out somewhere during all this. The explosion looks awesome. And what's more awesome is the camera cuts to the piles of meatloaf outside in the alley as they start to slide together and reattach themselves, like Rudy said earlier. Only silver bullets will work. Explosions weren't. One of the kids recommended an explosion. We can see it does not work. Yeah, they were fucking wrong. As the wolfman puts himself back together, the sister finishes the ritual, much to scary German guy's amazement. He like hugs her. He's like, I cannot believe it. I do not know how it happens. But the portal does not open. They find out that she is not actually a virgin because she doesn't count Steve. Steve doesn't count. So she's still a virgin. And Patrick's like, doesn't count. And he gets mad. And this is where I made the slut shaming comment earlier in the movie. Okay. Yeah, they're making fun of her because she's not a virgin, right? But I feel like it's like in the same way you could make fun of a guy. Absolutely. Right, right? And and I feel like it was in jest. The complaints you see online aren't because of specifically how it was said. It was because she is not allowed to be the hero in the movie because she's had sex. No, she's not allowed to be chosen to be the hero of the movie because she's had sex. And it's not even like you're kind of saying the same thing, but it, it, it's more like like Throughout history, there was always the innocence of a virgin had to be used for a ritual. Yeah. And the other version of it you get is Julian Sands murdering and skinning a three-year-old boy in Warlock. Yeah. Because you need an innocent kid for the ritual to work. And you know what? Use teenage kids or you fucking murder a small child. Well, this this goes back to the throw in the virgin in the fucking volcano. I mean, yeah. 
that, that that's all it is. I don't see why anybody could be mad that, oh, because she's tasted life, she can't be the hero. That's just happenstance. It's not, yeah. it's not speaking to her character one way or another. And it, it could happen with the guy. Like I said, I think in Warlock, it's a fucking little boy that gets murdered I and think skinned so. alive so he can make the flight potion, yeah. right? Because he needs the blood of a virgin or the fat. I think it's the fat of a virgin. That's why it's the skin of so he cooked the fucking fat. No, this shit is just witty fucking humor because they think that there's, you know, oh yeah, I'm a virgin. And then, but probably not. And then we get the fucking turning point of, well, this dude didn't count. And that's just total girl logic based on what my wife would say. I'm sure you can agree with me. I've had that that doesn't count, right? Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. (laughs) yeah. Guys have a it doesn't count also. It's just part of being a teenager. Yes, it's just funny. Anyways, I I didn't want to get into a rant. I just, I think it's a funny (laughs) joke and some people get really upset about it. But I think it's for the wrong reason. Like, they're not just making fun of her because of the sex thing. They're like, well, she's incapable of being the hero. I don't think that was the point they're trying to make. Technically, is that the case? Yes. Okay. If you want to be asinine and just, like, dial everything down to the detail. But I don't think that's the joke they were trying to make when they made the movie. I think it was to make you laugh because the portal didn't open. And she's like, well, Steve doesn't count. Exactly. Right? And that's just funny. And then we still get what, what goes on to actually get the portal open right uh, why i don't see how the people that could complain about that could then turn around and not understand that it's justified yeah yeah anyway and, and i'll get to that in a second because it's it's coming up i just think there's a few things before that yes for example we see rudy getting up from one of the vampire brides with a stake i'm assuming that's bride three we didn't see him kill bride three but we never see a vampire yeah. bride again and he's getting off the ground from staking one so rudy's now killed the mummy and all three of Dracula's brides. Yes, that's four. Very good, Josh. I'm glad you're listening. But while he's doing this, Wolfman sneaks up behind him as the cops are fucking full sirens sliding up to him, right? And they get out taking shots at the Wolfman. And he's just walking through them and fucking killing all of them. Yeah. And then Rudy picks up one of the cops' revolvers, empties the silver bullets out of a cigarette pack, loads it in, looks at Wolfman and says, bang. As he pulls the trigger, because the fucking teenage boy is supposed to be 15. Yes. Right? Blast Wolfman taking him down. He immediately reverts to human form and thanks Rudy for killing him, ending the curse, which, like I said, my favorite kind of werewolf. And Dell and Sean walk up on Rudy as he says, I told you, there's only one way to kill a werewolf. <laughs> and yeah, now he's killed the Wolfman, the mummy, and three Dracula brides. <laughs> Thank God for Rudy in this movie. Damn yeah. At this moment, Gilman bursts from the sewers and starts taking out cops himself. And Horace takes one of the cop shotties off the ground and he backs up to a store where he finds EJ and the other bully, Derek, hiding in the locked store and they will not let him in. So he then blasts Gilman with one of the most satisfying shotgun blasts in movie history to me. Yes. There's something about it. It's like playing Doom. It's just like <laughs> meat bone. It just hits and the impact of it. And Gilman's dead. Horse has killed Gilman. The bullies come out and they say, fat kid, good job. And he angrily cocks the shotgun as he says, <laughs> my name is Horace, right? Because he's a badass. <laughs> now listen to me. And he's got a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> you don't argue with the guy that has the shotgun. <laughs> During all this, though, Eugene asks scary German guy if Phoebe's a version. We know what he means, right? <laughs> and, and that goes back to what I said earlier. It's not a slut-shaming thing. No. Like it was supposed to be a purity thing, an innocent thing. I guess you can argue on, does having sex make you not innocent? But I, 
for this definition for magic spells yes. from the past, I think that's usually how it applies. And I said something about skinning the kid and warlock for his fat. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to skin Phoebe. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> Scary German guy is going to help her recite the ritual. So he starts as Dracula's walking up with the fucking quickening from Highlander going around him. Yeah. I don't know where the lightning's coming from, but all the cops swarm him and they're coming in one at a time. And he's fucking popping necks and smacking guys and taking them down. And Phoebe continues the ritual until Dracula blasts scary German guy with some sort of light power that hits him in the chest and knocks him down. I don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> and Dracula approaches Phoebe. And Phoebe looks scared as Dracula's walking up, but he's smiling at her. And he's like rubbing her face, like wiping the tear off all, all gently, right? And then he grabs her by the fucking throat and he lifts her off the ground and says, give me the amulet, you bitch, as he hisses <laughs> at her with his fangs popped out and his eyes red. And then Frank grabs him from behind and smiles and says, bogus, and chucks him to the air, impaling him in the heart on a fence post. And quick story about this scene. Some of the actors were a little method and didn't want to hang out around the kids in their monster costumes. And most of the kids were afraid of Duncan Reeker as Dracula, but especially Ashley Bank, who played Phoebe. Okay. <laughs> and she hadn't seen him with the fangs or the red eyes yet. And that was part of the scene, like the red contacts, right? Or maybe she had seen them. That's part of why she was scared. So when Fred Decker's talking to her about the scene, he tells her that she's going to stand on a platform and it's going to lift her up, right? Because that's how he picked her up by the throat. So the platform had a shot. And then he's going to say something to her and she has to scream. And she says, well, what's he going to say? And he goes, oh, don't worry. You'll know. <laughs> so they shoot the scene where he says, hand me the amulet, you bitch, right? And then he walks up with his eyes and his mouth closed and they say action and he opens his eyes, which have red contacts and the fangs and he fucking hisses at her. And then she screamed, but she screamed so hard because she was so fucking scared that it was an inaudible shriek. Oh, shit. And they had to reshoot the scene. <laughs> and it's fucking great, right? But like, oh, damn. they traumatized this poor girl. She thought it was awesome, though. She wasn't actually traumatized because she said he was like really nice. You know, and he would talk to him and stuff off set. He was just scary fucking Dracula. But anyways, Frank holds Phoebe's hand and he smiles at her as scary German guy continues to coach her in finishing the ritual. And he's, Frank just looks proud of her, right? Yeah. And the amulet starts to glow, which if I haven't mentioned the glow, they just, it's like a fucking prism and they do a laser pointer under it. And yeah, there's yeah. actually a couple scenes in the movie where they move the, the gym too fast yes! and you can still see the laser pointer and I didn't point them out, but they're fucking hilarious. <sighs> but she finishes the ritual. The amulet's glowing. Scary German guy takes it from her and he chucks it in the air and it busts open into the limbo portal and starts to suck fucking everything in sight. Not just the baddies and drag me evil. Like it said in the book, because furniture's getting sucked in good people. And we notice Dracula's missing off the, the fence post and he dives on Sean and grabs Sean and yanks him so that he's going to go in the fucking portal with him. Right? Yep. Sean manages to find one of Rudy's stakes skiing across the street, right? And he grabs it and he stakes Drac in the heart, right? Which slows Drac down and Sean's able to get away because Van Helsing comes out of the portal, grabs Drac and pulls him in and knows to give Sean a thumbs up, which I don't think fucking existed a hundred years ago, but why not? Yeah, yeah, it didn't, but yeah. <laughs> Everything sucked in except for Frank, who's trying to hold on to Phoebe, who cries out, don't go to Frank. 
And he says bye as he lets go and he's sucked into the portal and she throws him scraps so he doesn't have to be alone or scared in limbo. And this shit made me tear up as a kid and occasionally <laughs> will make me do it as an adult if I'm in a certain kind of mood. Anyways, the portal closes and the creatures of darkness are all gone. Mom grabs a sad Phoebe and Sean runs in for a family hug because they're all happy now. <laughs> and at this point, the army randomly rolls in from Eugene's letter. Yep. And I don't know why they believed him enough to send in the National Guard unless there's reports of the lightning and dead people and the fucking all that other shit. I just went with it's a kid's movie. Fuck it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rudy tries to put his arm around Patrick's sister. She's not having it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the head army guy wants to know who Eugene is and where the monsters are. And Eugene says that mommy came in his house <laughs> and the guy's like, what the fuck? And then the army dude wants to know what in the Sam hell's going on here. And Sean says that he can tell him and he hands him a business card as the army guy says, who are you? And he delivers the famous quote, we're the monster squad, which I love so much that when I streamed horror games before I started having kids, that was my new follower alert on Twitch. Oh, really? Somebody follow me and say, we're the monster squad. I don't know if I can get in trouble for that, but I used it. <laughs> Cue the actual theme song that tells the whole story of the movie in a cheesy white guy's 80s rap song. <laughs> and the credits roll. <laughs> the end. One of my favorite fucking childhood horror movies or childhood 80s movies or just childhood movies, just a movie in general. And I think it's fantastic. And it's not without flaws, but it did not deserve to tank like it did when it came out. No. There were a lot of things that were a little worse than this that were way popular. And yes. this movie just didn't get marketing or the audience it needed. And it is a very fucking fun ride beginning to end. And you can't say it's not a true 80s movie. And you can't say it's not a horror movie at the same time either. No, no. Okay, a couple of quick things. When the portal, pay attention when the portal opens at the end, there's this yeah. one section of fence that flies into the portal like 11 times. Okay. And then when the portal closes, you see the section of fence in the real world on set fall to the ground, which okay. I just think is funny. Also reminds me of the Evil Dead portal. <laughs> um, you mean like Evil Dead 2 when it yes. gets sucked in at the end? Okay. Um, now, there's a lot of movies that I make jokes about the Jesus tapes, and I don't remember when I saw this and shit. I knew I'd seen this movie. Um, I couldn't remember when. And then watching it again for the podcast, when it gets to the scene where uh, Dracula's half transformed back from bat in in the warehouse or whatever. When Dad, Yeah, very memorable scene. Yeah. When it got to that, I finally remembered that shot scaring me as a kid. Okay. Because it's slightly grotesque. And like as an adult, it's like whatever. But no, I had to have been young enough for that to be creepy to me when I saw this. Yeah. So I had to have seen this at a very young age and just don't fucking remember it. Like you said, being overshadowed by Goonies, that sucks. But th this is a totally different adventure movie. Like th there's nothing right horror in in the Goonies. I mean, there's you, there's real world horror with yeah. you know the Fratellis trying to kill him and shit. But uh, this all is the Kraken scenes got cut. <laughs> but the octopus was really scary. Yeah. But there's nothing else like this. If you stop and no. think about it, there's no other. You know, talking about the 80s, there's more modern shit that's definitely like this. Right. 
but but back then there was nothing like this. This is the only movie like this that really was just a, a group of kids in their treehouse that you know are totally obsessed with monster movies, and then the monsters actually show up, and with right. the help of the five year old girl that's only around, that's a fucking nuisance, is only around because mom said so. Really, is the one that saves the day, right? And all the guys say that that Phoebe was the hero. Yeah, like, it, like after totally. watching the movies, adults like Phoebe is the fucking hero. Phoebe the Phoebe came in and saved everybody. Yeah. In the end, because she recited a German ritual on the fly while watching her friend Frank possibly die, right? Like, like it, it, it's very good. And and when you watch the doc, right, the Wolfman Scott Nard's doc, and they start interviewing fans, you just realize that, like, everybody that saw this movie in the 80s was kind of like the nerdy, loner, 80s outcast kid that yep. liked to read Stephen King books and watch horror movies and everybody thought they were fucking weird but they were just like a normal kid that was in a horror and and they took a group of those kids and put them all together where they were friends with a common purpose and and like you said the circumstance happened to fall in their lap that they were all prepared for for their whole lives <laughs> which is very short right like at this point but I, I don't know it's one of the more relatable kids 80s movies yeah because you could you could well, be any you could be sean you could be patrick you could be rudy you could be horace like yeah i mean there are plenty of younger siblings boys or girls that were phoebe or eugene right because even eugene he's fucking ignored the entire time and he's the only one seeing monsters yeah well and you just brought up something you know very relevant with recent entertainment bringing up stephen king with okay look at fear street 1978 and the whole joke about the the stephen king book club and all that right. stuff. Like, it's fucking tropey now. Yeah. Back then, it wasn't. And you can't tell me that the Duffer Brothers are not fucking huge Monster Squad fans making they Stranger have to Things. Because Stranger Things is honestly the only other thing with kids playing kids that I can yes. think of. No, they have to be. If they're not, I won't believe it. No, it's fucking lie. <laughs> it is a great entry into horror for younger kids there's a little bit of language you may have to explain the virgin thing but there's nothing over the top violent there's no. nothing over the top dirty words right um my I, kids are great about covering their own eyes i don't even have to do anything like when they can tell something <laughs> fucked up's about to happen they immediately cover their eyes because I love horror and I saw fucked up shit as a kid. I'm not going to do that to my children. I'm actually surprised <laughs> I let them see Monster Squad when I did. But it's because Monster Squad was way more horror than my memory led it to be. Oh, really? Yeah, I just think of like goofy kids and Rudy's a badass and they're fighting the monsters. I forget about some of the language. I obviously forgot about some of the dated comments yeah it's more violent than i remember it being there's more blood i forgot about the meatloaf werewolf you know what i mean like yeah. eating the possum at the beginning i just don't remember any of that because it was just like a clean fun kids 80s movie to me <laughs> you know and and they saw it and like i said i was watching it this morning because i had to get up with, with molly and she's two so she doesn't know what the hell i'm watching right <laughs> so she's eating breakfast and she's playing with the baby doll and i'm like i'm just gonna start watching monster squad because i was gonna watch it before i came over here and my daughter ella got up and she's like oh is this monster squad she remembered watching it with me and she oh, sat down and she covered her eyes when she had to and and she had a good time and i think because of them watching that i'm gonna be able to show them horror movies easier when they're older case case in point now you talk about seeing that movie at the right age you're close to sean's age or you're close to rudy's age think about your daughter watching that she's not watching yeah. them 
She's watching Phoebe. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So she's watching got- Phoebe. She's crying when Frank gets yep. sucked in. My daughter's six, and she's like, oh, my God, it's her best friend. Yep. Oh, she gave him scraps. You know that's what I mean? all she saw. That's yep. all she saw, man, and that's what she's going to remember when she's friggin' 20 and telling somebody about seeing the movie with her dad. And I bet Aiden just watched Rudy. I can just see <laughs> it in his eyes. I can just see it in his eyes. But I honestly, I don't know. As a kid, like the, it was funny. They're interviewing different people, and they're like, "Who did you identify with?" And me, I was, I was Sean. To me, yeah, like I was the one that read everything and was trying to take charge. Like, let's have a monster club, and everybody made fun of me. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wanted to do it, right? And 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 that's that's who I related to. I wanted to be rude. I was Sean who wanted to be rude. <laughs> I just wasn't cool enough. I was probably Eugene, the quiet kid that nobody paid fucking attention to. <laughs> I was going to give you Patrick, right? <laughs> Either way, it's a fun movie that's really easy to relate to if you're from that era. And I guarantee if you're not from that era, my fucking kids definitely aren't, and they like it. Yeah. Try to watch it if you haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. I won't always say this. If this movie is not available to stream somewhere, but you can pay money on fucking Prime or something to watch it, fucking pay for it. You're not going to feel like you lost out on the money. There you go. Anyways, I love that movie. That was on the original list. Yeah. Of starting this podcast that I had to fucking cover Monster Squad before this podcast ended, and I finally got to do it. Another movie that is referenced into the ground on this podcast <laughs> was 1984's Ghostbusters. Take it away, Josh. All right, so yeah, let me let me get through uh, the makers and the cast of this movie, and then we'll uh, we'll get into some interesting shit before we get into the review. <laughs> so, Ghostbusters 1984. Directed by Ivan Reitman, mm-hmm. who, as a director, did Cannibal Girls, his first quote-unquote real movie. So we've got some horror cred there. And then uh, notable things like Meatballs, mm-hmm. Stripes, and Evolution. That's a fact, Jack. <laughs> Worked on a lot of other stuff as a producer as well. But we're going to see a lot of these, or a handful of these names continue to come up. Um, it was written by a couple people. Dan Aykroyd. I don't yep. know if you've ever heard of him, who, of course, was also a writer on Spies Like Us and Blues Brothers. Yep. And uh, to help with writing, we'll, we'll get into that, Harold Ramis. Yeah. Known for writing Animal House, Meatballs, Caddyshack, and Stripes, <laughs> and being in Stripes. And you know what? Just to hang on Stripes here for a second, my dad made me watch that movie, and I thought it was going to be stupid. And it's funny as shit. Yeah. There's some really racist shit in it. But it's funny as shit. <laughs> See, I haven't seen it in so long that I don't even remember the racist shit. Come to think of it, I don't know if I've ever seen that movie not on like USA oh, or Comedy Central. Cut. So, so the reason why I might not remember any racist lines might be because <laughs> they were cut out. Um, we've also got Bill Murray, who never really agreed to be in the movie, and luckily he showed up on uh, the first day of shooting that they needed him. Really. <laughs> Kinda. As Peter Venkman, of course, SNL, Meatballs, Caddyshack, Stripes. Scrooged. You got to bring up Scrooged. Yes. Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We've got Dan Aykroyd as Raymond Stance. He was in Trading Places, Blues Brothers, Coneheads. I mean, a lot of shit and a lot of of bit stuff after his major shit in the 80s. Yeah. Big uh, UFO and uh, Supernatural guy, too. It's the writing of this film. Oh, we're going to go there. (laughs) Um, Harold Ramis, who, once he was asked to come in to rewrite Dan Aykroyd's original treatment, said, well, I'm going to need a role in the movie. Nice. So he was in it as Egon Spengler. And that name is actually pushed together from the names of two different kids that he went to school with or knew two different people that he knew. Okay. The Egon and the Spengler, who was in Stripes. Groundhog Day, 
airheads. <laughs> We've got Ernie Hudson as Winston Zedmore, the guy that everybody always forgets about and who we always remember went on to be in the fucking crow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he has one of my uh, favorite quotes in this movie too. That's a big ass Twinkie. <laughs> We also have, and there's other people in this movie, and we'll bring them up as we go along, but to round this out, we've got Sigourney Weaver as Dana Barrett. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Alien franchise, The Village, Cabin in the Woods, all kinds of shit, but mainly the Aliens franchise. I mean, you can't leave out Rick Moranis, man. I'm going to get to him when he shows up because there's an interesting story of how he ended up in the movie. Okay. For special effects, we've got Boss Film Studios, who we've brought up 11 million fucking times on this podcast. In case you forget, they're responsible for the special effects on films like Fright Night, Big Trouble in Little China, Poltergeist 2, Monster Squad, and Starship Troopers. Are we talking about Richard Edlund here? Yes! Five episodes in a row by accident, man! And we're finally going to explain the birth of that studio in this episode. So how did this movie come to be? So two things, really, we had to have happen to lead us to this movie. Number one, Dan Aykroyd being obsessed with the paranormal. And this goes all the way back to his grandfather. Yeah. So not only did... Uh, Dan Aykroyd grew up in a household where the paranormal was talked about as a common occurrence and a real thing. This was a, a generational thing. So by the time it got to him, it was just like, yeah, this is it. Check out all these like studies that your, your dad did and your grandfather did. And this book that was written and all this crazy shit, which anybody who's ever dug into Dan Aykroyd will quickly find out. That's why he's got the fucking haunted hotel TV show and all this shit. Like he is a big time believer yeah. in everything otherworldly. I did not know most of this until he was on last podcast on the left. Oh, really? And that's where I learned a lot of it. Yeah. And uh, I guess now would be a good enough time to say that we kicked off tonight. Number one, we haven't done this in person and for fucking ever. Pre-COVID. So because of this episode, I went out and bought a fucking 750 milliliters of Crystal Head vodka, Dan Aykroyd's vodka, (laughs) triple filtered through three layers of his bullshit, but I don't care. (laughs) And we had martinis before we decided to sit down and, and record today. So Dan Aykroyd, man of many business ventures. The Second City Comedy Troupe, which featured people like Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, John Belushi, and many more. Okay. That is another thing we really have to thank for how some of these people came together. So uh, Dan wrote the treatment, and when he wrote it, it was going to star him, John Belushi, and Eddie Murphy. I could see this. Totally. And before we ever get to this getting turned into an actual script and sold and whatnot, John Belushi, of course, died. So that left us with needing to go a different direction for it or left them with needing to go a different direction for it. But uh, let's just say the uh, the spirit of John Belushi lives on in this film through (laughs) one of its characters. So uh, a little bit more about the treatment, because it wasn't even a fucking script. It really was just an idea on paper. Okay, Um, it was set in the future where Ghostbusters would be just as common as firefighters. And uh, the story would focus on the trio as they battle giant monsters, including the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Okay. So uh, Dan pitched it to Ivan Reitman, who had worked on Cannibal Girls, Animal House, Stripes, Heavy Metal, Meatballs, because he did a lot of shit as a producer, too. It's like, I think this is right up your alley. And uh, Ivan's like, totally. I'm going to take it over to the guy I know over at Columbia Pictures. We'll see what we can do. Takes in just the treatment with drawings of the monsters, secures between 25 and $30 million, depending on where you look, Okay, from Frank Price, who was the head of Columbia Pictures at the time. And... Uh, <laughs> He's like, we're going to do this, but you're going to bring in Harold Ramis to actually flesh this out to a real script. Okay. And so they did. So they're, they're getting this shit together on how they're going to make this movie. Cause I think they're told they have 10 months. 
We have 10 months to make and release this fucking movie. That's how busy Columbia is. And they're like, all right, well, we have to have ILM. ILM is the only one that can do the special effects even after we pare this down into a real script. And uh, ILM was booked. There was no bad blood or anything. They were just flat out booked. Yeah. So Columbia offered up five million bucks to this Richard Edlund guy from ILM who was wanting to leave and start his own studio. This was the original seed money that founded Boss. Okay. And when Richard Edlund left, it was one of those Jerry Maguire moments. And like four or five people from ILM said, fuck it, I want out too. Okay. left with him. So this really is where Boss Studios came from was five million bucks from Columbia Pictures to do the special effects on Ghostbusters. So they start shooting Ghostbreakers because Ghostbusters was owned by Filmation. And they didn't know if they were ever going to be able to get the rights to the fucking name. Did not know that. Filmation also did Masters of the Universe, in (laughs) case you're curious. And so they were shooting scenes where whenever they had to say the name or show the name, they would show it both ways. Ghostbusters and Ghostbreakers. Had no clue about any of that. They get to the scene... And it's towards the end of the movie where the crowd's outside in front of the hotel chanting, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. And uh, I think it was Ivan Reitman. They finished shooting the Ghostbusters scene with all the extras. And Ivan Reitman goes and gets on the phone and calls. I think I think he called Frank at the studio and he's like, listen to this. And he's like, you hear that? That's 400 extras you're fixing to pay to reshoot this and say Ghost Breakers. And it's like, no, we're not. Just move forward with Ghostbusters. We'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> Fucking crazy. So they keep making the movie under the name Ghostbusters at this point. So by the time they reached the end of their 10-month production, Frank had left Columbia Pictures. And he went to work at Universal. Guess what Universal Pictures had? They had the TV rights to the name Ghostbusters. Okay. It was actually not only an animated show, but a TV show. And with him over there pulling strings, they were able to actually close a deal at the last minute and use the name Ghostbusters to release the fucking film. Nice. Because Ghostbreakers does not have the same ring to it whatsoever. Oh, no, it's terrible. Ghostfaces. <laughs> yes. it's No, Ghostfaces is better. <laughs> it is. So that really is the short story of uh, how this came to be. And uh, I'll sprinkle in some more shit as we go here. So the film opens at the New York Public Library. And we're following this old woman through the library as books fly around behind her. She kind of notices them, but it's okay. They're just books on strings. She moves along. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we see the card catalog system, the Dewey Dewey Decimal System. If I don't remember anything else from grade school, I remember the card catalog and the Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) And the drawers are flying open behind her and all these cards are flying out. And uh, of course, like I said, the books flying by were really just books on strings. The card catalog thing, there's guys on the other side of the wall pushing the drawers open and blowing through pipes to blow the cards out. Just simple, you know, in frame, practical effects. The real question is, what they make the snot out of? Uh, uh, KY. Actually, I did not find out in my research. Okay. <laughs> but we know KY gets used a lot, so why not? <laughs> but uh, hmm. once the card catalog shit starts flying everywhere, the librarian lady takes off. And uh, she runs right into something off screen that we don't see, but there's a bright flash, a blast of wind, and she screams her head off. The ripped off theme song kicks in, the title, logo card pops up, and we're off. Now, the reason that I say the uh, the ripped off theme song. So uh, if you ever listen to Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters theme and Huey Lewis in the news, I want a new drug, side by side, Okay, they sound an awful lot alike. Guess what I'm doing later. You're going to listen to those two songs? Yeah. They wanted Huey Lewis in the news, I want a new drug. They shot parts of the film with that on set for timing and during editing for timing. The whole plan was to get that song. Huey Lewis said, no, 
I'm going to go do this Back to the Future movie with one of my songs. You can't have one of my songs. Jesus. So, Ray Parker, the story goes, now so many years removed. If you ever watch interviews with Ray Parker Jr., he's always like, yeah, the melody came together real quick, but what was I going to use for the lyrics? It's because the motherfucker already had the melody. It was, I want a new drug for <laughs> Huey Lewis in the news. Anyways, movie comes out. Huey Lewis sues the shit out of Columbia and Ray Parker Jr. They settle out of court, and there's a gag order. Nobody says shit about it. Years later, Huey Lewis is on VH1's Behind the Music and let slip some of the details. Ray Parker Jr. turns around and countersues Huey Lewis for actually talking about the case of going against the gag order and gets money from that, too. Nice. So all that shit's just amazing to me. But yeah, sorry, Ray Parker Jr. You got your own shit. You're a good musician. You're a good songwriter. But you ripped this shit off. <laughs> Yeah, but he had that fucking classic lot of bust and makes me feel good. <laughs> exactly. Nobody can take that away. So after the title card, we see Dr. Peter Venkman, and uh, he's doing a psychic powers experiment on two college kids. <laughs> Including one of the kids from Christine. <laughs> yes. So we got dude and chick. All Peter cares about is the chick. And he just keeps shocking the shit out of the dude as right. he's turning these cards around. Doesn't matter if he's right or wrong, guessing the shit on the card. He's just like, no, who's shocking the shit out of the guy? <laughs> and keeps hitting on the girl. I'm studying the effect of negative reinforcement on ESP ability. The effect? I'll tell you what the effect is! It's pissing me off! So that quickly lets us know Peter's character. He doesn't take any of this shit seriously, and he's just after the girls. So then Ray comes in, excited as shit, and uh -huh. Ray, Ray is like, He's, he's the goofy brother or the goofy cousin that just like, he buys all of it. He's the wide-eyed, naive guy that like, he'll, he's the glue that'll hold it together just because he'll, he's always got a spring in his step and a third mortgage to make. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet, but he is that guy. And uh, he's so excited because uh, somebody's seen some real shit and they have a real haunting to investigate at the library. And they meet up on site with Egon. And uh, they interview the librarian, which some of the stuff I'm going to leave out because there's a lot of shit that, that Bill Murray gets shit for for doing on scene. Like, are you menstruating right now, Alice? That really doesn't help the story move along. Right. Um, <laughs> well, even the guy says, what does that have to do with anything? He's got my side. It's still fuck with me. Oh, so after taking some readings and collecting some ectoplasm, they spot this apparition quietly floating in the stacks. And uh, Ray comes up with a plan and he tells the other guys the plan which so far is just to follow his lead. <laughs> and they try to make contact. Get her! And she transforms into this, if you look at the bone structure, it's really an apish type ghoul. And uh, the trio bolts. It really makes me think of one of the ghosts from Poltergeist. I can't think of which one it is, but it like pops up and looks the same. I guess at the end of the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, the wacky, zany... You know, ragtime piano theme kicks in the other Ghostbusters song. And uh, it's great. And I, and I love how it feels when it's used in the movie. So they head back to their office. And uh, on the way, Egon says that, you know, based on the readings they've collected, that he thinks he knows a way to actually trap and hold a ghost. They've got hard evidence and a plan. And uh, now the research funding is going to go through the roof, right? So uh, they get back to their office and discover that their department's been shut down. <laughs> 
And the guy looks like really excited to tell him he's getting the yes. boot too. He can't wait to get these guys off campus because their research is bullshit. Their theories are bunk. Like he goes through the whole rundown and you can look at Bill Murray as Peter Venkman. Who's like, uh-huh. 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 When do we get on to the next thing? Because he don't give a shit. Right. And the same fucking rant happens later on directly towards him by the EPA guy, but we'll get there. So they've got hard evidence, a way to trap ghost, no business, no funding. And Peter then convinces Ray that they should just go into business on their own. And they go and get three loans against Ray's family home <laughs> to fund their endeavor. Don't worry, Ray. Everybody has three mortgages <laughs> these days. <laughs> So they then rent a firehouse, and uh, it's actually two firehouses. The outside shots is New York. The inside shots is L.A., but they're both real firehouses. Okay. And they set up shop. Same place as Egg Shin's base. Yes. In big trouble. <laughs> See, it's all coming together, guys. So we now got to jump across town and meet a couple other characters that are going to play a pivotal role in this movie, and that's Dana and Lewis. And uh, Dana's just your average lady trying to get home with her groceries. And uh, she's trying to get her to her apartment, but uh, Lewis from across the hall is trying like hell to get her to just notice him. Right. He is this weird, quirky guy. And uh, he's a very Rick Moranis yes. type character. Yes. Yes. Of course, played by Rick Moranis. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Nobody could do that but him, though. No, absolutely not. And the thing is, is. He's he's quirky and nerdy, but not in an intriguing way, just in right. an annoying way. This role was written for John Candy. Oh. And John Candy's reading it, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do the whole thing in a German accent. And they're like, no, you're not. And John Candy was the one that turned down the role. He said, I don't understand the character. I can't find grounding for the character. I'm out. Blew my mind when I found out about that, that John Candy's like, these guys are all his friends. I know. And fucking turns down the job because he can't get the character right. As much overacting or one note as people want to say about the man and what he did when he was here, um, I think that speaks volumes to actually understanding what it takes to make a character work. And to be honest, I can't see him doing it. Fuck no. Rick Moranis was so damn perfect in this role. Why did somebody run up and randomly punch Rick Moranis in the face after he like hadn't been out in the public in like 10 years? I'm you know sorry, what? I mean? what? <laughs> you didn't hear about this? Did we talk about this on the show before and I just forgot? <laughs> I think we did a long time ago, but you know, he pretty much retired from acting. I think his wife passed away. Yeah. And he wanted to just take care of his kids and be yes. his dad. And he just recently started coming out and doing stuff again. Like he's been doing like uh, the Ryan Reynolds owns a... Um, Canadian cell phone company. So like Rick yeah, yeah. Moranis Mint does commercials. Mobile, not yeah. a sponsor. Yeah. And he does a commercial and he's like, I just wanted to have you on here, guy. Well, around that same time, he's walking down the street and some dude just runs up and fucking decks him in the face for being Rick Moranis. What the fuck? Why? <laughs> he's such know. a lovable guy. I know it's a random rant, but like, why would you randomly want to fucking punch him? It's just like he said. I, just, I don't know. It's just crazy. But yeah, I mean, Rick fucking Moranis, Spaceballs, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I mean- just national, you don't need to say anymore. I know, I know. National fucking treasure. For me, it's it's always Dark Helmet and, and this. <laughs> I mean, I can't. So Dana eventually makes it into her apartment. And uh, just as she comes in, she sees this quirky-ass Ghostbusters TV ad. And like, you know, have you seen spooks, ghouls, strange sounds? <laughs> I mean, it's so bad. But it's just like one of those one of those bad, like, pest control guy commercials. It makes me think of a pest control ad. And it also makes me think of what we would probably look like if somebody asked us to shoot a commercial. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she sets her eggs and shit down on the counter. And next to the eggs, you'll see some Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. It's like perfectly set for this shot that comes in on them. And and she's back behind the island that all the shit's sitting on, putting shit away. And the carton opens up. And the fucking eggs start hopping out on the counter and start cooking. 
It's a cooktop. Okay. It's a cooktop with tiles on it. That's how they did it. it <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> Looks cool. And uh, she turns around and she's like, well, this is odd. Uh, I mean, it's New York. Like you see odd shit, but this is a little odd even for New York. She then hears a noise from her refrigerator. And when she opens it, this blast of light comes out and she sees this, this fucking pyramid temple floating in the, in the clouds with these dog things. And one of the dogs <laughs> like barks light out of its mouth and says, Zool. And, uh, she screams and slams the door. Now, like nine things I have to cover about this scene. One, they were so pushed for time on this movie. When they went to test audiences, this special effect shot didn't exist, along with most of the other special effect shots in the movie. Wow. It just said, special effect shot goes here. And the audience still bought it. And when they talked about it afterwards, they're like, she was terrified. I got to know what's in that refrigerator. Right. Zool and the terror dogs. Okay, so that's what they call them is the terror dogs. When Sigourney Weaver went and read for this part, she actually said, I think I should turn into one of those dogs. This wasn't in the script. Oh, Okay. And she literally started crawling around the furniture, growling and snarling. And the whole thing about the gatekeeper, the key master, the terror dog possession, all that gets written on the spot. Nice. All because of her fucking interview. The story goes. Uh, <laughs> so I am saying it that way. So uh, Dana has A, seen some shit and B, saw that, that, that commercial. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so she heads straight to the Ghostbusters, where we see that uh, they have an office, kind of, and they've got a ghostbusting car, kind of, and a friendly receptionist, kind of, <laughs> <laughs> which is Annie Potts. And she's so great. I remember her from Designing Women, watching that shit with my mom. I don't care. I'll say it. I've said it a million times. And she is so great. I, I just, she's great. Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I buy all of it. So Dana, of course, tells the guys what she saw and heard. And uh, Ray says he'll check the check out the building's history. Egon says that he'll check out the name Zool. And Peter says that he'll take Dana back to her apartment and check her out. Because yeah. that's all Peter cares about. So uh, once on scene, Peter acts like a quirky game show host. Because that's what Dana refers to him as. Like, you're not like a scientist. You're more like a game show <laughs> right and i don't think it's a compliment <laughs> no it's not um and he was told to act like a used car salesman i think or maybe that's another line that gets said in there i don't remember <laughs> but uh he investigates the refrigerator and all he finds is junk food and dana unwilling to give him an in because all he cares about is hitting on her like that's that's it man she's like i seen some shit and all you want is in my pants so uh that night, the trio eats the last of their petty cash because <laughs> they've yeah. had no work yet. <laughs> it looks like this business may not have been a good idea. But then the phone rings. We got one! So the trio heads off on their first real call and they're now totally decked out Ecto-1, which this had to have cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars just to fix the car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the neat thing about it was, is I was seeing interviews with Dan Aykroyd where like he could walk around the car and point at every prop on it and tell you what it does. Really? Like this is the, the thermal energy scanner. This is the spectral plane analysis sensor. Like... Like it's real. Yeah. Like, like he's fucking awesome. He's such a big kid. While we we're talking about the Ecto one, I was getting some toys for my kids at Walmart yesterday and they had a limited release Hot Wheels Ecto one, like in a display stand. So I got one for me, not for <laughs> him. And it's on my uh, little nerd shelf. So Sweet. it looks badass. Always wanted one as a kid. I had the big plastic one, right? That went with the Ghostbuster base, but I, I never had a little. Dude, I remember you and your brother. You had the proton packs. You had the ghost catcher thing. You had the firehouse. You had all yeah, that shit. Yeah. I was a huge Ghostbusters fan. I was at my dad's house the other day 
in his garage getting out sheetrock tools, right, for him to come help me fix from the uh, flood that I mentioned (laughs) earlier. And I started looking around because I know most of my toys as a child are in his garage. Okay. In the back corner. And sitting on top, I couldn't get to it, was the uh, fucking proton pack. Nice. Or one of them. Yeah. So, yeah, we had the the Ghostbuster packs and the trap. My brother and I would walk around and act like we were hunting ghosts. But we also (laughs) had the firehouse, and it came with slime you could drop down through the grates and stuff. I think that was more based off the cartoon. But that was, I mean, that's the thing. This has had multiple cartoon series. My son watches one of them. At the store, I saw there was a Nerf Ghostbusters gun that just came out. So I'm assuming there's another Ghostbusters cartoon because it had cartoon Egon with the blonde fucking rat tail. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Anyways, fucking love this story. <laughs> so they head off to this hotel that's asking for some help. For the first time, they power up their gear. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Well, no sense worrying about it now. Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. When they light that shit up in the elevator and then step away, like they're looking at Dan Aykroyd like, oh, fuck. Yes. Oh, it's so good. And then they blast the shit out of the maid's cart. (laughs) All right. Shit's tested. (laughs) So uh, they're told that the disturbance is on the 12th floor. And uh, once on the 12th floor, they split up and they encounter John Belushi. I mean, Slimer. And uh, I'm not saying that as a slight. The whole joke is imagine John Belushi in Animal House. Okay. That's Slimer. Yeah. And that that really was Slimer really is an homage to John Belushi. That's awesome. As a dis- the disgusting critter that he is, like that's that's the good time. He ain't hurting anybody. Just the good time, go lucky guy that that John was. So Ray spots him first, and Slimer's like, "Oh shit!" Doesn't say anything, but it, the look on his face is, "Oh shit!" And he he goos through a wall. <laughs> is that where he's got the cigarette hanging from his lip? Dan Aykroyd? Yes! Because I had to learn how to do that because of that movie when I smoked. I was like, oh, I gotta do this shit. Oh, yeah. This is this is right right towards the end where, like, everybody smokes in movies, and this is, like, right towards the end of that. <laughs> we start seeing people not smoking in movies anymore. And uh, so once Slimer's on the other side of the wall, he's in this other hallway, and, <laughs> and Peter's there, and he's like, Ray, I think I see it. And he's like, okay, great. And he's like, Ray, it's looking at me. <laughs> and uh, Slimer charges him. And the next thing we see is Ray coming on scene and Peter laying on the ground covered in goo. And he says he slimed me. That was one of many lines they tried for that. And that one just felt like the funny one. Okay. And so the whole thing of Slimer getting named Slimer, that term being used for getting slimed by a ghost, it all came from that one line okay. from Bill Murray. So they then encounter Slimer in the ballroom. And we got all three Ghostbusters there now. And they trap him. They destroy the shit out of the ballroom in the process. But don't forget the vases still stood. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, more importantly, as they're going to catch Slimer, Egon tells them the importance of never crossing the streams. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Right, that's bad. So with uh, Slimer captured, we go into a totally 80s montage, like like you've mentioned before, <laughs> full-blown yeah. 80s montage of the trio busting ghosts all over the tri-state area. And we see the Ghostbusters growing in popularity through TV, print, and radio, including Larry King and Casey Kasem. Remember yeah. Casey Kasem, because he's going to come up later. And uh, we even kind of see Ray getting a blowjob from a ghost, but then we realize it's only a dream. And this is towards the end of the montage, which is really fucking weird. Okay, 
few things. The blowjob scene is much longer. Didn't make it into the movie. Okay. If you'll notice the first shot when the, the, the pretty apparition lady appears above him, it's a far away shot. His bed is the only one in the room. And when he rolls over having the dream at the end, it's all three guys like a firehouse sleeping together. Okay. The blowjob is real for anyone who's wondering. That's how it was written and how it was shot. A ghost blows Ray. Okay. Then when it got down to editing and towards the end of shit, they said, let's just make it look like a dream. That spectrophilia, I don't think that term was around yet, um, <laughs> seemed to be a little bit over the top for the movie they were doing. But the whole the whole plan was supposed to be a spectral blowjob, which I think is hilarious. I did not think it was hilarious when, I don't remember if it was my son or daughter, asked me what was happening. And I, <laughs> I had explained the tickling. Oh, was t- had to take his pants off and tickle him? They were just tickling him. <laughs> she fixed his belt and tickled him. <laughs> Um, and I guess now's a good time to bring up. This is not a horror movie. This is a comedy. It is a comedy through and through that just happens to be about ghosts and monsters. Which means we can cover it on the show. Exactly. And even the people making the movie didn't know the juggernaut they were creating. And I'll save some more of that for the end. So um, obviously these guys are busy. Yeah. Like there's this whole montage of how popular they are. And they're, they're fucking shit up all over town in a good way. So they need some help. And this, of course, leads to the fourth Ghostbuster joining the group, Winston. Now, Winston's character originally appeared on page 24, 28, something like that. And then by the time it came time to shoot, he didn't show up till page 67. Okay. And he was told, you know, he brought it up to Ivan Reitman like, um, I'm, I'm, am I the token? Like, like, this is how I feel. <laughs> like, I really feel like I'm the fifth wheel. Okay. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's just, it takes this long for your character to show up. Think about what, what importance your character has in the movie. Don't take this shit personally. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you being a black guy. And that's the stigma, you know, around this time, you know, you really would have this happen. Yeah. You would, you would have, that's where we get the term from the, you know, the, the token character. And, uh, once again, I love his character and some shit he's going to bring up later on in the movie is why I love his character. Well, he's the the normal grounded guy you get in the team because he's the only one that's not a scientist. He's a construction worker. Yes, he's the audience. Yeah. Like we've seen in other movies. He's the audience, man. That's how we get it explained to us in layman's terms. Yeah. Now that Peter has proven himself a professional, he goes back to visit Dana to try to get that date. Right. And uh, he updates her on the case, tells her that Zul was a Sumerian demigod and a minion of the god Gozer. Meanwhile, we see Ray showing Winston the containment unit. (laughs) And this is when the real villain of the film shows up. Yeah. Goddamn EPA. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Walter Peck. I do want to say Dana does agree this time because Peter says like Thursday night, nine, something like that. Yeah. And she's like, fine, whatever. And uh, so back to Walter Peck. He wants to see the containment system because he suspects it could be causing environmental contamination. And uh, first, Peter tells him to piss off. And Peck says, well, he's going to be back with a court order. Meanwhile, Egon tells Ray and Winston that data indicates that they're on the verge of a massive supernatural happening. And he explains all this in the form of a Twinkie. Because <laughs> he happens to be eating a Twinkie. Because Egon, <laughs> he, he snacks on stuff all throughout the movie. And uh, he earns a candy bar in their initial investigation yeah, yeah. and everything. And uh, he's like, imagine if this Twinkie represented all of the supernatural energy in the area. It'd be a Twinkie 35 feet long and weighing 14 tons or whatever. Yeah. And that's when Winston says your favorite line from him. (laughs) That's a big fucking Twinkie. (laughs) So uh, we get a quick cut back to uh, the roof of Dana's building. And I'm not quite sure it's made quite clear at this point in the film that when we see this spooky looking building that it is Dana's building, but it is. And we see uh, these terror dog sculptures up on the top that look really fucking cool. Yeah. Because they're these big, mean, horned dogs. Uh, One of them comes to life. 
We then come back to Lewis, and he's having a party. <laughs> Lewis is an accountant, by the way. I'm pretty sure he's Dana's tax guy. Right. And uh, <laughs> he's out in the hallway running into Dana again, like, hey, you should come over. We're going to play Parcheesi. <laughs> Whatever the fuck he's saying. It's so good. And uh, she blows him off again. And she goes to her apartment. She gets a call from mom. She's had a hard day, man. She doesn't want to talk to mom. We've been there. Right. She plops down in this chair. She gets off the phone. And all these creepy ass monster hands. When I was a kid, I just thought they were all like dark colored zombie hands. If you pay attention, like one of them's only got three fingers and they're yeah. hairy and like it's all kinds of different stuff. And it's uh, probably the creepiest scene in the movie, honestly. It is because yeah. it feels it feels very uh vi- violating ish. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they grab her in this overstuffed chair and she sees the poltergeist light coming from the fucking kitchen. <laughs> And uh, the chair goes flying across the room and into the kitchen. And the door opens to reveal the terror dog. And we cut away. But wasn't there two sculptures of the devil dogs on the yep, roof? Yep. Okay, okay. So let's cut back to that party across the hall. And uh, <laughs> a very tax deductible party. Because yes. they're all clients, not friends. <laughs> exactly. And uh, he's going around. And Lewis is like, I get the generic because it's, you know, it's the same thing. And it's 20% cheaper. Hey, have some of that salmon, man. I got it from Nova Scotia. It's only 25 dollars a pound after taxes <laughs> yeah it's so good and like this couple comes in and he's like oh this is this is bill and martha they only make seventy thousand dollars a year like, <laughs> like saying all this shit about him and he's like let me get your coat and he throws the coat into the room that he's using for a coat closet right onto the other terror dog's head <laughs> it's just chilling on the bed and uh the full-size life-size puppets uh, yeah. animatronic puppets of the dogs look great stop motion ones and the compositing of the stop motion ones, not so much. Yeah. So around this time, after throwing the coat in the closet, Lewis goes back to this tall blonde number at the party. Is like, hey, and because she's wanting to leave. And he's like, no, yeah. no, no, stay. He's like, well, let's dance. Maybe if we start dancing, other people will start dancing. That's Casey Kasem's wife. Oh. I don't know how long that lasted, but at least at this point when the movie was being made, they were married. Okay. That's, that's as much as I know. Um. <laughs> so then a growl is heard okay who brought the pooch right <laughs> fucking tear dog busts out of the bedroom chases uh chases lewis out of his apartment down the hall across the street across central park over to this restaurant dogs and cats living together <laughs> and lewis is banging on the window of this restaurant and all these snooty fuckers could care less <laughs> and then the terror dog approaches nice doggy cute little pooch Maybe I got a milk bone. So, uh, Lewis is gone. Dana's gone. What the fuck's going on with them? Now, like you brought up about some of the bad special effects in this movie, and I'm going to say it that way. Bad. Watching interviews with Richard Edlin, he said that probably more than 80% of what ended up in the film was their test shots. Okay. That they were just sending in, hey, this is how we think we should do this based on how you wrote it. And the studio's like, okay, thanks. Because <laughs> they didn't have time. Now, that could just be a cop-out, but how fast this production went and how quickly Boss was thrown together just for this movie, right? it may be true. Some of the special effects don't hold up. The lighting effects with like the, the proton packs and their beams and shit, yeah. that looks great. The Slimer puppet and the way he's composited in and his big booty, all that looks great. It's just like stationary compositing things and some of the stuff with terror dogs look yes. bad, honestly. Yeah. The rest of it, I think, is totally passable. Stay Puff Marshmallow, man. Looks fucking amazing. He's awesome. <laughs> so anyways, Peter then heads over to Dana's for their meeting slash date because it's that night. She answers the door and asks if he's the key master. And she's like totally decked out in this red flowy number and this yeah. crazy 
only can be described as 80s flash dancing makeup. <laughs> and he's like, no. And she shuts the door. <laughs> and he knocks on the door again and she opens it. And same thing. Are you the key master? And he's like, yeah. And then he walks in. He's like, I'm a friend of his. <laughs> Just to right. weasel his way in. And uh, she says that she's Zul, the gatekeeper, and she's preparing for the coming of Gozer, the destructor. Okay. <laughs> so then Zuldana starts coming on to Peter like hardcore, but now he's not into it. I want you inside me. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I can't. Sounds like you got at least two people in there already. Might be a little crowded. So Peter actually being the pervy piece of shit that we've been led to believe actually kicks into Ghostbuster mode and actually a scientist. And he says he wants to talk to Dana and uh, that doesn't work. There is no Dana, only soul. My kids will tell you this when they're upset, they get in trouble with me. Obviously, I don't do it to them now because they're older. But when they're younger and they'd start crying and say, I want mommy, I'd go, there is no mommy, only daddy. And uh, after they got a little bit older, they would start mocking me and do it. They're like, I know, I know, there is no mommy, there's only daddy. <laughs> but I would always do that to them when I'm like, you got to sit in time out. They're like, mommy. I'm like, there is no mommy, <laughs> only daddy. And uh, I don't know, it was, it was great. But obviously from this movie. <laughs> That's great, man. So uh, Zul Dana then starts to growl and levitate and even spin around in the air above her bed. And it looks really good. Yeah. That's because it's a stage rig. All that's really happening in camera. I figured. But this was the reshoot. Because they shot all this and then realized only in editing, in some of the shots, there's a crew member just sitting in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) And they had to reshoot that. So if you notice like hair and makeup looking a little off, lighting looking a little off in a couple of shots, that's why. Meanwhile, if Dana's still alive, where's Lewis? Well, Lewis, who is now Vince Clothar, the key master of Gozer, he's explaining (laughs) who he is to who he hopes to be the gatekeeper. But it's a horse. Yes. (laughs) And the guy with the horse is like, look, buddy, you want to ride? You talk to me, not the horse. And he like growls at him and his eyes turn red. Yeah. (laughs) And he goes scampering off. Yeah. And he says something like, don't worry. When master gets here, we'll free all the slaves or (laughs) something. Rick Moranis has so many random throwaway lines. (laughs) Oh, and it's, they're all great. Like every, every word that comes out of his mouth in this movie is great. So we then get a quick cut to Vince Lewis being dropped off at the Ghostbusters station by the police. Yeah. Because he seems to be their kind of stuff. Right. And it's one of Annie Potts' greatest lines. When she opens the door and the cop's there, she's like, picking up or dropping off. (laughs) Yes. And uh, so Egon runs some tests on him. And uh, as he's doing this, of course, Vince Lewis says that he's uh, the key master and he's waiting for the coming of Gozer. And this is around the time that Peter calls Egon to tell him what's going on with Dana. And he's like, well, Dana's the gatekeeper. <laughs> and Egon's like, well, I have the key master. <laughs> and Peter's like, we have got to get these two together. <laughs> yeah. Which sounds like a bad idea. I think Egon even points yes! that out. Meanwhile, Ray and Winston have this totally philosophical end of world conversation while they're cruising around in the Ecto-1. And this is where I really, really love Winston. And uh, they're talking about, you know, you know, in the Bible and Revelation where it talks about the dead coming up to walk the earth. It's like judgment day. Like, holy shit, is that what this is? Could we actually be in the end times? And that's like one of the deepest things in the movie from a from a philosophical standpoint. Yeah. And, and I love that. Um, and it's really seems throwaway, but I, I think it's part of what, part of what puts the whole thing into reality of, uh, if you think about like 
folklore and religion and a lot of the stuff that uh, between a believer and a non-believer, the non-believer thinks that the believer is absolutely insane. And that that's the whole thing with beliefs and faith, be it, you know, what you believe in, what you don't believe in that, that I think speaks volumes to the human condition. And it's the only thing like that brought up in the movie. And I think that grounds the movie in a way nothing else does. Is that, is that a Josh rant? <laughs> that was definitely a Josh rant. <laughs> Okay, so um, let's go ahead and take stock of what's going on here, because we're about to hit the third act, believe it or not. So we got a possessed gatekeeper. This is going much quicker than my film. <laughs> I told you it would. We got a possessed key master, and we've got uh, Gozer the Destroyer. So the next day, the EPA shows up. <laughs> yeah, the real enemy. <laughs> and uh, they've got all the paperwork they need to shut down the fucking containment system. And Egon is like, you do not want to do this, and I will not be held responsible right. for what's going to happen if you do that. Even the engineer doesn't want to pull the switch. No. The city brought He's like, I don't know what the fuck this does. I'm not certified <laughs> for this. I've never seen anything like this. He's like, just shut it down. I'm going to go ahead and say this now. William Atherton said that after this movie, people would would actually try to start fights with him in bars. Really? For like, how dare you try to shut down the Ghostbusters? It's <laughs> like, dude, I was just in a movie. But like people would like cuss at him and spit towards him. Like, I hate you, Walter Peck. You're a piece of shit. <laughs> All because of being in this role. <laughs> so he's basically the original Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Sure. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. Well, shit. <laughs> Where were you for 10 years? <laughs> Not having internet. <laughs> so dude flips the lever. As soon as he does, the containment wall begins to crack and the polter poltergeist lights come out of the wall. <laughs> and we see all the ghosts they've captured burst through the roof and disperse. This is it. This is the sign. Yeah, it's a sign, all right. Going out of business. Oh, so of course they lose the key master in the process while all this is going on and they get arrested because, you know, they've obviously had to have been doing something bad to the environment enough to get a fucking warrant and they get taken to jail. And uh, we hit montage number two to see what's going on throughout the city while the only saviors are being incarcerated. And there is all kinds of insanity being let loose. We see Slimer chowing down on hot dogs. We see a corpse cabbing, giving a guy a ride, which as a kid scared the shit out of me. <laughs> it's pretty good looking corpse. Yeah. The only thing in the movie that scared me as a kid was that guy. And uh, this all leads up to us cutting back to Dana at her apartment and her apartment just exploding. Okay, cool. Like, whatever. I don't care. I'm along for the ride. And this gives the key master below the signal on where to head. Compass points that way. Yeah. <laughs> The giant beam of light going, ah, as it comes down. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, Ray explains to the crew that Dana's building is uh, a spiritual conduit and that Gozer worshipers used to perform rituals on the roof in an attempt to bring about the end of the world. He has a set of blueprints in the jail cell. Yeah. Did he have that in his prison pocket? I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Um <laughs> I just love how all the inmates are like trying to keep up with the conversation yeah. and watch the blueprints. <laughs> They're like this. Well, it's fucking prison, man. It's the most. Well, it's actually not even really prison. It's just a holding cell. But yeah, it's the most entertaining thing going on, of course. I just, Bill Murray looks up and he's like, are you guys getting this? Right? <laughs> yes. I like, think it's real technical. I fucking love that part. <laughs> oh, so. They're kind of piecing everything together. Like this is all really bad. And we know about the key master, the gatekeeper, Gozer. This whole thing is supposed to bring about the end of the world. We just unleashed all the power that could be absorbed that we had hidden under lock and key. Shit. 
Now, all the mayor knows while this is going on is that his city's falling apart. Now, this is New York in the 80s. It was already falling apart. <laughs> and now there's fucking ghosts everywhere. So it's fucking crazy into the world type shit. So the Ghostbusters are brought out of the cell because they have a meeting with the mayor. Mr. Walter Peck's there as well. So Peck goes on this whole rant about how, you know, oh, it's all, you know, uh, hallucinogenic drugs. And then these guys show up with their light show and then then steal their money. Mind altering gas. I think he blames it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. But once again, the city's going bonkers. All the mayor needs a solution because, of course, the Ghostbusters say that if he saves the day, there's a lot of registered voters that would be happy about it. Right. That. I also think he has, like, the local bishop or whatever come by, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. from the church. Yeah, the bishop or the cardinal or whatever is like, I need spiritual advisors. Shit's going down. <laughs> but he doesn't give in until the team actually lays out how bad it's going to get. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. So the mayor's had enough. He kicks Walter Peck out and he brings in the National Guard and he sends the boys off to save the day. Third act. Already? Already. So the Ghostbusters head to Dana's building. Of course, they're all fully kitted up now. They get outside, and the street opens up, swallowing the team. A squad car rolls down into the hole, crushing the Ghostbusters the end. Just kidding. Okay. Just kidding. They climb back up out of the hole, and the crowd around them is very happy to see that they're alive. The crowd that's holding up these Ghostbuster t-shirts with the ghost with the no symbol on it. They were made just for the movie to have something to show that they were actually popular in the city. Nobody knew, nobody knew how the merchandising was going to take off. They had no idea how kids were going to gravitate to this shit. More on that later. (laughs) I mean, almost 40 years later, I just bought a Hot Wheel car brand new. Exactly. So the Ghostbusters walk all the way to the penthouse. (laughs) (laughs) You mean all the way up the penthouse? Yeah. Unfortunately, while they were meeting with the mayor, Vince made it to Zool, and they're already on the roof ready to complete the final ritual. This is very glossed over, but that means Rick Moranis banged Sigourney Weaver. I was going to bring that up, and I was also going to point out that do they ever mention who the father of the baby is in the second one? They No, they just talk about who it's possessed by, right? Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen the second one. Touche. Yeah. I think she's just like, oh, it's just a musician or something that she knew, but it, it's like very throwaway, if I remember correctly. So does that mean that... that Lewis impregnator and she just said it was the violin guy? I think so. That's fucking awesome, man. That kid's going to be funny. Um, (laughs) Anyway. Nice and Canadian. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Thank you, Canada, because Canada's the third thing we have to thank for this movie in all seriousness. So, uh... (laughs) Once they get up on the roof, the terror dogs like take their positions on either side of these big ass fucking doors on the roof. The doors open up and uh, we see the same scene that Dana saw in her fridge with the fucking floating pyramid and all this crazy like acid rock metal album artwork looking shit. And uh, only this time Gozer emerges and Gozer was played by a model. I forget her name. I probably Slavitsa Javan. Wow. I have to be right here. <laughs> and uh, Gozer's dope as shit. <laughs> Like, 
big old balls doesn't give a fuck about nobody attitude right. like conveyed right out the gate and uh she confronts the ghostbusters because they've made it up to the roof you know on the on the heels of all this are you a god no then it's just so good because yeah. gozer blasts the shit out of the ghostbusters they nearly fly off the roof and I think it's, is it Winston that says, oh yeah, <laughs> Ray, next time somebody asks you if you're a God, you say yes. God, I love Winston. So, uh, they decide to just fight. This, all this happens really fast. The Ghostbusters regroup, decide to just blast her with everything they've got and goes or disappears and they think it's over. Oh yeah. They think they vaporized her into neutron particles or some bullshit. <laughs> And then Gozer calls down to them from the sky and says the Destructor has arrived and tells the Ghostbusters to choose his form. Peter tells everyone to clear their minds, just as Gozer says the choice has been made. Like, whoa, 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 <laughs> hang on, hang on. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Ray says it, it just, it popped. It just popped in there. <laughs> I, I thought about the, the one thing that could never destroy us, that could never hurt us. And you're hearing this <laughs> footsteps in the distance stay puff marshmallow man <laughs> and we see just his head bobbing through in between some buildings and in test screenings that's all anyone ever saw was just that headshot that's a real okay. head that's a real prop and uh everybody's like you gotta be fucking kidding me because <laughs> there's this giant hundred foot tall marshmallow man now trouncing around the city causing car accidents and all this shit and he looks so happy <laughs> right right he's a giant smiling pillsbury doughboy with a sailor hat on yes and uh and i think peter even says hey wait a minute he's a sailor he's in new york all we got to do is get him laid we'll be right, fine right <laughs> and so as all hell's breaking loose they turn to egon the smart one the voice of reason to ask him what he thinks they should do ray has gone bye-bye egon what have you got left? Sorry, Bankman. I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. Oh, shit. So with nothing else to do and the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man now starting to climb the fucking building Godzilla style, they blast the shit out of him. But all that does is set him on fire. Now they have a hundred foot tall marshmallow fire climbing up the building towards them. And that shit burns if it drips on you. <laughs> yes. Oh, we've all had those campfire times. So now at the last minute, thinking that the trio is doomed, Egon says, well, we could try to cross the streams. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter's like, oh, no, no, Egon, you said crossing the streams was bad. <laughs> and he's like, well, there's a slim chance that it could reverse the doorway instead of unmaking existence. Right. <laughs> and I was like, but what about us? And he's like, well, there's a small possibility we could survive. <laughs> yeah. So with nothing left to do, they fucking form the super beam, shoot at Gozer. Actually, they're not even shooting at Gozer at this point. They're just shooting into the doorway light. Everything explodes. This huge beam of light comes out from the Gozer pyramid thing and goes right into Stay Puff's face and uh, just liquefies him into 10,000 pounds of goo. And uh, <laughs> that flies everywhere, which they use shaving cream. And uh, they bought up all the shaving cream that they could get so quickly that they were forced to use a lot of menthol shaving cream. And people talked about having reactions on their skin from being covered in so much of it. When they had uh, Walter Peck, I forget the actor's name, that shot of him down below with the yeah. big thing. He asked I Ivan Reitman right before they were going to do it. And he's like, have you tested this? And they're like, no. And it's like, is it going to hurt? And he's like, I don't know. And then just fucking pulled it and let all the shit fall on him. <laughs> 
Jeez. <laughs> so everybody's cheering that everything's okay down below, it seems. The uh, Ghostbusters we see start to come to life covered in their, their marshmallow goo. And uh, they start noticing this noise. And it's Dana encased in one of the terror dog sculptures. Yeah, but that's after Dana Aykroyd's like, oh, God, what's that smell? <laughs> Smells like burnt dog hair. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, God, Peter, I'm sorry. I fucking love that part. <laughs> yes. But uh, they free Dana, and then they hear Lewis in the other one. He's got the head head of the devil dog. I keep wanting to call him devil dogs. He's got the head of the terror dog on him. He's like, hey, who turned out the lights? <laughs> Somebody help that little guy. And uh, they get him freed. And he says, wow, the superintendent's going to be pissed. Right. <laughs> and uh, the Ghostbusters have saved the day. I love this town. <laughs> the song kicks in credits. And a few things about this movie. It shouldn't work. On so many levels, this movie shouldn't work. It's too quirky to be taken serious. The special effects aren't good enough for it to be a blockbuster special effects, you know, mad, you know, spectacle of a film. But the comedy, the comedy works. And I think that's why this movie worked right. in a way that nobody expected. When you say it, it shouldn't work at the time on paper, it shouldn't have worked. Yeah. But, but in hindsight now, in the future, like when you name who wrote it, who directed oh, yeah. it, who acted in it fucking walking marshmallow man like all these things you're like yeah it's a fucking genius plan they just didn't know it yet they didn't man this was a lightning in the bottle james wan type thing you got a 30 million dollar budget and it makes 300 million right like it was just a blockbuster the well james wan will do it with single digit million but you know <laughs> but but that level of return on investment yeah and all of a sudden we have the toys the video games the cartoon the, the cereal the well, yeah, the everything. And you notice that, remember, the cartoon was the real Ghostbusters because they couldn't use the name Ghostbusters. It cost too much. Oh. Uh, and even on to today, I'm going to knock this out right now. There is a sequel. The sequel is not as bad as everybody remembers it being. I've heard you talk about people saying it's bad. I didn't know people didn't like it. I still, I love the sequel. I haven't seen it in a while, but I liked it. I felt like as much. It was different, but. Yeah, I think the first one was just that good. Yeah, that, that it makes the second one. Everybody remembers the second one being terrible, but no, it's just not as good as the first. Um, there was the remake 2016, 2018, somewhere around there. It just wasn't good. Yeah, I, I could give a damn that the cast was all female. Yeah, people try to make that as the big deal while people said it, it sucked. It would have been the same thing if it was the same guys almost. With that plot, it just didn't have a soul to it. No. right. It just felt like people dressed like Ghostbusters fighting ghosts. Well, you had four comedians all trying to be Bill Murray. Yeah, that's what much, it fucking yeah. felt like. <laughs> but you didn't have four Bill Murrays. That's why no. the original worked. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why Peter Venkman only works in spurts, but he is pretty much an asshole if yeah. you really think about yeah. it. Yeah. Now, November of this year, we get the new Ghostbusters movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. Which I'm really hoping breathes new life into the franchise to make it fun for the the next generation because the the reboot was not that film. Right. I hope it does. It's carrying the story from the main characters. I think it's supposed to be like Egon's daughter and grandchild, right? Or, or moving to his property, and that's where they find everything. And it's Ivan Reitman's son yep. making the movie, and he was a kid when his dad made the first one, but he was on set every day. Yep. And he learned how to make films from his father. So hopefully it has that same heart and soul. And hopefully the other three guys have something to do with the movie. Cameos. Yeah. Producer credits. Something. Something. Part of why I think the first one was so popular and 
it kind of really goes with the theme of this episode was it was a huge hit with the kids. Yeah. Good thing they cut out the blowjob stuff, right? But yep. like I didn't get any of that when I was a kid seeing the movie. I had no clue. And I, I love the movie, but you gotta think all the toys, all the cartoons, all the snacks, all the cereal, all that shit, the pudding. I think there was green <laughs> like pudding packs. There, right? Well, there was the the Ecto high C cooler, Ecto cooler yes, juice boxes. Yes, the juice boxes that were fucking Ghostbusters themed. Like this thing was a huge hit with kids. Me and my little brother watched this one all the time. Now, I will admit, as a kid, I loved the movie and we'd watch it almost all the way to the point where Gozer was on the roof and we'd either stop it or fast forward it or go do something else until the marshmallow man came. <laughs> like as a kid, that part just like kind of stalled and dropped it off. To yeah. Us, right. Because it just got like extra serious. It's kind of like every time they mention, um, we didn't say it on the episode. Whatever the name of the the spirit, Tobin spirit, Tobin guide. spirit guide, yeah, right, right. Like, like they get all serious sometimes on on some of it, which works as an adult watching it. But as a kid, that part didn't stick. But for the most part, this movie was a hit with kids. They realized it and they fucking went all in on the kid stuff. Yeah, and then the sequel, I remember watching the shit out of the cartoon. Right, right, right. I, like I said, my son just watched it recently. <laughs> it's on Netflix or Hulu or something. And the sequel, I feel like they didn't aim it at kids. No, they tried to make it too fucking serious. Yeah. And I don't know if they necessarily meant to aim the original one at kids, but no. it, it did. So you should have learned from that. And then I think that's the problem with the remake. Yeah. It, it tried to be everything and, and turn it up to 11. And it just, that's not what the movie was ever meant to be. There's a, I don't know. I don't know anybody who doesn't like this movie unless they're like younger and don't see it until now. Right. More recently, because it's dated. There's a lot of stuff in the movie that's dated. There's not, it's not high action. The comedy isn't even zingers. It's a lot of downbeat, dry. I mean, there's there's some zingers in there, but there's a lot of it that's just dry. Yeah. And I don't even like that kind of comedy. And it's always worked for me in this film. The second one's all right until the end. The whole dancing, singing, whatever to save the city. Because <laughs> remember the, the goo dances and shit? Right. right. Well, if they put happiness around the ectoplasm, it yeah. turns good. So then they like make the good ectoplasm so they could spray the Statue of Liberty. Oh, yeah. Oh. And they use the Statue of Liberty to go fight the evil. Okay. I thought it was fucking awesome maybe, as a kid. Maybe it is worse than I thought. <laughs> If she goes from the suck to blow. <laughs> wrong movie. <laughs> Spaceballs. Yes. Hey, Rick Moranis, Spaceballs, merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> it's fine. I like the sequel. It's fun. It's some good shit. And that, but they're, you know, both these movies, they're fun. They're fun entrance uh, into horror, regardless of age. I mean, if you're not, if you're just not into horror, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I don't like scary movies. Like, yeah. Like, watch these. These are, there's nothing, there's a couple of creepy things, but between the two of them, but nothing that's flat out scary. With my kids, it's pretty funny because they have a cousin that's a year older than my son and she had seen Ghostbusters. That's why they wanted to watch it originally. Okay. And all three of them, Aiden, Ella, and Emma, are terrified by the ghost in the library at the beginning. Like, I can say that. scares the shit out of all three of them. But they love to watch the movie because they think it's goofy. And there's some adult humor in there that they don't get. They've only asked the one question that I mentioned earlier <laughs> with, with Stream, and I had to pass it off. But I don't know. It still works to kids that were born in the in the in this decade. You know what I mean? Like, it's just insane. Well, that's good, man. That's good to see that happening. And Because uh, we were single-digit age when we saw these movies. Oh, most definitely. Movies. Yeah. And then played them into the ground until we're almost 40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This has been fun. It's a it's a fun fun one to do that's more lighthearted and uh not so serious. That's really cool to learn more about what happened with Monster Squad. And right. I I was like you, I had no idea that it was 
basically panned when it came out. I just thought people knew it was good. I didn't know it took until 2006 for people to figure out they knew right? it was good. Right? I thought it was just a cult <laughs> fucking classic out the gate. <laughs> I had no clue that Ghostbusters was why Boss Studios was formed. <laughs> um, I just knew that was when Boss right, Studios right. was formed. So that's fun, too. I love it when we learn shit on these. And uh, it's good to be back face to face and yeah. and I realized that this is why our older episodes drug out so long because we goof off more when we could actually <laughs> see each other in real life <laughs> and I don't know if it's permanent being face to face right now but it sure as hell worked out for this one and uh, <laughs> Josh saved the day by meeting me around the corner and helping me change that tire so I get here to record this cursed cursed episode that tried to not happen apparently Josh's internet's been going out so <laughs> had I not been here we probably wouldn't have recorded we wouldn't have been able to record because we wouldn't have been able to meet so uh it's fucking crazy, but it was really fun going over two movies from our childhood that we've discussed doing since we started this podcast and getting to knock them out face to face. If we were going to do it one episode face to face out of this whole season, this was the one to do it. Definitely. And it was a blast, but that's it for the lighthearted horror episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we cover the Creep franchise. Oh my God, this is going to be a good day. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbyspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbyspodcast. This might motivate us to use them more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. Meeting adjourned.